episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We have the usual crew here today. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Salutations. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. Welcome back. Welcome back, Chow. Even though I don't think you've missed a week in a long, long time. I'm talking to James. He's been gone for a while. From all yeah, the James, <laughs> yeah, James has been our boots on the ground for like the entire summer every other week or so. So uh, are you back I, home, James? Or are you in some weird remote location now? Uh, I'm back home. I am oh. I am definitely uh, resting up, especially since I'm going to be doing TGS next month. It's like, nah, I'm, I'm good for a bit. So you will again be out and about and be on a dispatch mission. On behalf so it's of the very far this time. <laughs> yeah. First time in Japan? Yes. Oh, sweet. Oh, you'll love the food there. I've been there. It's like there's competition everywhere. <laughs> food quality is like I uh, am God's almost, here. I am almost worried that uh, it'll ruin like uh, the Japanese places uh, like back home. It's like, oh, no. Uh, my I'm... friend said the exact same thing. But, I think uh, uh, like LA ramen is the, is like pretty up there, like comparable to ramen you'll find out there. So it won't ruin the ramen places. This is our first podcast recording in August, and of course, the big game release of the week, of the month, really is Baldur's Gate Three. So Baldur's Gate Three, of course, was originally scheduled to come out at the very end of the month but was recently moved up for its piece release to release just last Thursday. We're recording this on Saturday. Now, as far as I'm aware, no one here on the podcast really had early access. And to be honest, the game was sent out pretty late, so no one's really had a lot more time than anyone else, reviewer, consumer, or otherwise. So we're all kind of mostly in the same boat. Um, I think Quentin, who is our reviewer, got the game on the full version on like Monday. So they had right. like a three-day head start. And it was kind of fun to see from the distance, like the, uh, please update your game. We found something that was like, you know, this game is coming in so hot. And uh, please update before you keep playing because we found some uh, problems <laughs> before you, before you and play even, it. Even after release, they've already released a hot fix that supposedly fixed 150 bugs, which I sh- they're probably all small ticky-tack things. But yeah, there's, there's still some very noticeable ones here and there that, that uh, my friends and I have come across. but. You know that they're working at it every day. It's a, it's it's a very big, big, complex game. So and you know, Larry and releases always come in a bit hot. It usually takes them a bit to get them all completely fixed up. So it's kind of par for the course. And compared to um, Alcat's games, the Pathfinder games, this is uh, super polished. So I've run into a few cosmetic bugs and a few wiggling issues, but nothing nothing that has hampered my enjoyment at all. So I think. Uh, we kind of got together as a site like three years ago and played the early access version. I believe we have a cha- uh, a video up on our YouTube channel. Um, so I've been playing the official release. I know Josh has been playing it uh, in co-op, I believe, with a friend for the official release. Yeah, uh, it's a full player co-op party, so I've been having a blast. Uh, and then uh, James has been playing it, and Adam has been watching me play it. So uh, vicariously, he's been experiencing it. So... I am about, you know, 10 to 15 hours in. A lot of what I've done in the game so far has been kind of recovering what I had played in the early access because early access, even though I only played it in like 2020, 2021, was pretty meaty. It's a big sizable section of the game, which I'm still in the first like region, which 
I'm at like the 10 or 12 hour mark. Uh, James, how much time have you been, have you, have you had to put into this game so far? About um, five hours, not too much. Because mm-hmm. I've been like playing a bit, but uh, mostly I'm planning to uh, do a co-op campaign with my dad. So Nice. Oh yeah, yeah you had, I think you had mentioned that. So that sounds really neat. So uh, Baldur's Gate 3, of course, uh, a lot of people have come into this game. There have been already uh, a lot of news posts about like Steam concurrent player numbers, how it's over half a million. I'm not sure exactly where it quite peaked at, but obviously a big hit for Larian. Um, the, this genre of games, the isometric RPG, the tactical RPG, the CRPG, whatever you want to call it, has always kind of been a little bit more niche compared to like the Bioware, Witcher, Mass Effect sort of realm of Western RPG. But it seems like this one has uh, kind of incorporated a lot of the sensibilities that have allowed those other games to reach a wider audience. And then in addition to the fact where we kind of talked about this last week, how Baldur's Gate 3 is kind of releasing at a time where there's a little bit of a dearth of those experience. We had Cyberpunk a few years ago. It's kind of a different experience with its first person. You, of course, have a lot of the um, kind of the other AA titles I'm um, talking about like Elex and um, some of the things that Piranha Bytes is doing, some of the other publishers over there on the other side of the pond, which of course Larian also is. So this is kind of releasing at a good time for those that have been really, those of us, those of us that have been really waiting for an RPG of this scope, uh, of this type for several years. Um, let's hand it off to kind of Josh first, because you're the one that's kind of been playing it kind of as the party uh, focus as the because this game is treated like a single player game, but of course has the capability to create like a four player party and play through the entire experience in co op in the same way that both the Divinity Original Sin games had. So I'm really curious to hear about your experience because I'm sitting here kind of playing it as a single player experience, so it's very similar to what I've played with um, uh, Pillars of Eternity or uh, Divinity. So I'm curious what your experience has been like so far. Yeah, I'm not a big D&D person, but I just been having a fantastic time with this game and like uh so, like two of my fr- like, uh, two of my friends and I like uh we're not like super big into D&D and then we have another person, uh, another friend of ours who's like really big into D&D. So he kind of knows like you know what all the abilities do and like generally like you know like if you have a question, he's uh, more than happy to answer it on like just general D&D stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and right now, what my what my co-op character is is he's a dragonborn uh, that is a bard, and uh, he's kind of and he's also like kind of like the the speaker of the group as well. He's really has high charisma, um, kind of the the specializes in range when it comes to combat and likes to play songs and entertain people. Uh, and la- last night uh, he got fucked, and it was great. He got dominated by um, some. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the characters. It's like we're doing like an evil playthrough as well. So like one of my friends is like the the the, 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 the dark urge, as well. So we've been kind of we've been doing decisions that like no like sane people wouldn't do on their playthroughs. So our playthrough right now is like mega unhinged and what and what we've been doing. That's actually a good way um, to do it because if you try to play like completely Paragon or whatever, you really have to be careful. A lot of reloading where if you just kind of like let you know let chaos ensue whether or not you're like evil or just like reckless i feel like that could be a lot of really neat emergent story yeah we've been, we've, got, we got, we've been having a lot of adventures uh uh like one of the first towns we uh we, we can't we came across uh, after we escaped the the ship from the intro like we accidentally started like a civil war in it and we didn't know how and like that that storyline like looped back around to like a later place 
that we that we went through. Um, what like one of my other the the one who's into super into D and D, uh, he's kind of like role playing like a like a a mage uh character where he's like very desperate to by any means get the the parasite the mind flayer parasite out of his uh, head and kind of uh jumps onto like any like deals into like anyone who tells them hey i can help you out with that and like and he, he it's even got to the point where like his character and his character alone out of our party is like it something has happened to him physically and in his status that affects him will per- affect him permanently throughout the game which is really cool to see because we didn't know exactly how this um interaction with a certain character that you uh, we came across in our playthrough did and now he's just like his appearance and what he can do is has been permanently altered because of that interaction of trying to uh, take up that character with like the, or like them saying, "Oh, I can take out that uh, parasite out of your head." Um, the dark urge friend uh, does a lot of fucked up shit. Um, one time at uh, during a, a long rest at camp, uh, there was a character that came across our camp, and like while everyone was asleep, um, when he came to it, we saw this event. Uh, we lo- we checked it on this event that he was like seeing, and just like he just kind of ate that character while we were all sleeping, and then hid the body. And we're like, uh, uh, all right, c- c- cool. <laughs> so we're just pretending that like, oh, that person just left in the morning, and um, you know, we don't know what happened to them. Just you know, and who, who, who could know? Who could know what happened? Really? Um. I really like how you opened up with like what sort of character you were playing, because, of course, everyone's going to have a very different experience based on who they build. And of course, here's where I can give the requisite shout out to those that are less familiar with D&D or tabletop games in general or even just like this style of RPG in general. Uh, There's obviously a lot of different um, choices in terms of like race and sub race class and subclass or in certain classes like clerics, you have a specific like domain that you specialize in. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of um, of choices to make. But yeah. one thing I do want to give credit to for Baldur's Gate 3 is like when I played both of the Pathfinder games from Owlcat, you are immediately like swarmed with so much information where if you are not like a Pathfinder veteran, like you get overwhelmed. Or at least I got really overwhelmed in terms of all the choices, all the subclasses. Where here, I just want to say that Baldur's Gate 3 has done a really good job in terms of making the UI very clear in terms of like, here's why you can cast these spells. You know, wizards, warlocks, clerics all have different ways in which they can cast magic. Some are like class based. Some are you just read the spell scrolls if you're a wizard. Some are based on your like cleric domain. And just in general, like the tool tips are super helpful for for someone like me who I've played like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I've played Baldur's Gate 3rd edition, we know, 10 years ago, but this is based on 5th edition rules where like the advantage and disadvantage and inspiration work differently. But I don't feel overwhelmed because I think the UI is just very clear in terms of like what things do, how they work, why things are working the way they are. Yeah, um, there's so many like smart design decisions. Even like doing like a, like a co-op session, like it, the, the, there's so many like smart things about it. It's like that just makes playing with others like so, so simple. So for example, that like when you pull up tab, you can see everyone's inventory at once. You can see what they're wearing and what they have in their and their bags, and you can always right click an item and immediately like uh, transfer an item to them that they may need. And it's like no hassle when you're continuing a co-op session. All I have to do is load up the the save that uh, that I did, um, and then just invite everyone to that session, and they automatically have their character on them already. There's no need to dole it out. They always have their their character on them. Um, 
and it's just and everything just been just super smooth and it's been really and it's cool that like anytime like someone gets to a conversation or they kind of uh, drift off somewhere in their cutscene you can always like uh just click the icon by them to like when they're in a an event to like see what they're seeing what they're what, what choices they're making like even if like there's like a a, a a dialogue option like it'll show like hey this is what i want you to choose but you know they don't have to choose it but it'll show like an uh, your steam icon by like what the the decision that you that like you think you, they should go with um and everything has been working like pretty smoothly like there, there hasn't been like any like connection issues there hasn't been like any like like there's been a, like a tiny tiny desync issues here and there but for the scope that this uh game is managing like it's been very very minor um and like you said with the tool tips like even there's like just a character creation when i'm t- picking like okay what perks what spells do i want I, I like that like if you pick like a certain thing that has like a similar effect let's say like this is like kind of like a, a like a, a a spell that uh red, red, uh enhances defense and then there, you come across like a, a spell selection and there's another spell that like has a similar effect when you hover over that the tooltip says you already have this on you but like that but this spell is better than that you know um so it even like like, like shade up like you know um you can affect uh uh decrease like redundancies like that you didn't account for because you forgot what you selected you know a little like the tooltip will just straight up tell you it's like you already, you already got this so you're good like if you want to go back and like you know alter that that's cool but like just know that like you already have this you already selected like a similar thing and um, one thing that's also kind of similar is like when you're doing an ability roll so one clear one key part of Baldur's gate 3 is that you will be rolling a ton of virtual dice for ability checks and dialogue and all those things um and if you've got a like a party member who can bolster your ability, whether it gives you advantage or it gives you a bonus to your role. Like if you're about to roll for a check, it'll say, Hey, uh, like a very early one that pretty much everyone will run into is that the cleric character that you get Shadowheart, gives, has a cantrip that gives you an extra one D four in every ability check. Um, and basically you don't have to remember to cast that every time you're going to go into a dialogue tree, the game will say like, Hey, this will give you an extra chance to succeed here. Do you want to cast it? Which I think is super handy because this game has so many spells, so many cantrips, so many different rituals where, um, and I almost wish there were like, uh, hotkeys in terms of, uh, or what, or what are they called in final fantasy 12? Uh, like the programmatic reminders to oh the um what was it was a gambit gambits yeah so i like i remember when i was playing like the pathfinder games where i wish there were almost like gambits where it's like hey this character like a very early boon that you get is bless for instance um gives you a bonus to attack rolls whatever uh in a way for some of the abilities the game has that incorporated where it's like hey if you cast this It'll give you the ability to do better on the skill check. Do you, do you want to do that? And even in ways that I wasn't expecting, for instance, my character, I really liked how you opened with like what sort of class you were playing. When I last played Baldur's Gate 2, I played with like a very obscure class. I played like a, like a gnome cleric. Uh, and then when I played the Pathfinder game, I played like a cavalier. So I wanted to play something a little bit more straightforward. So this game, I picked, uh, I'm a dwarven fighter. But I picked the specialty where it's like an eldritch fighter, so you get some magic. So I'm still trying to get something a little bit that's not quite so um, like 101. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, so I'm playing a dwarven like eldritch fighter. And one of the abilities that you can get is the ability to like increase your size to increase your strength. It's uh, I forget exactly what it's called. I think it's just called enlargement or something like that. But also like whenever you're doing strength based checks, 
the game reminds me, hey, you can cast this boon on yourself, which I always thought of as like a combat boon, but you know, it can also help you like intimidate people <laughs> or things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually kind of fun where it's like, here, this difficulty check for this strength intimidation or whatever, or your strength bonus to this intimidation check can be bolstered if you cast this. Do you want to cast this? And I'm like, oh, sure. <laughs> it's just a bit silly, but it's really nice that the game just incorporates that because otherwise I would kind of maybe not forget to do it, but just kind of, you know, it gets, it gets lost in the weeds. Like, oh, there's so many abilities, so many things where I forget this thing will improve my strength and improving my strength improves my intimidation role so yeah it's it, it, really it, it great really like how, like how uh, interesting like uh, combat and non-combat synergies work right so like at, uh, at one point in my co-op adventure we uh went into this palace like a kind of like this uh g goblin focused ca uh, uh, pa palace or uh stronghold of some sort uh and um there was this we saw there's this treasure vault in the back but it was like locked um but our dark urge person is sort of like a kind of like a budget thief almost that they, they they're good at lock picking um uh, so they have all the thieves tools and so forth so we we're trying to like think of like okay how do we get it like we really want to see what this this treasure vault has but how are we going to do this so uh, our mage had an invisibility spell so they cast invisibility on the on the dark urge and then i ca i casted bardic inspiration on them which gives them an, an enhancement to any ability checks that they uh, come across so uh while we're all like looking away uh this dark urge goes and picks the lock while they're invisible with my bardic inspiration on them and uh, uh, uh succeeds in uh lock picking just gets a shit fuck ton of rewards for that treasure vault and no one saw anything like no one was around and we didn't see anything so therefore everything's all good and and and, and even then like in combat that bardic inspiration also gives them like you know buffs as well and i also have like a, some debuff spells and some ways to you know, um, like uh, like uh, mitigate uh, and help and help support the team overall while still doing some um, far range abilities and damage. And then, of course, after every turn, I just make sure to turn tune into. Uh, I bust out my loot and uh, play a random song. And there's uh, quite a bit of like divinity references in the in the songs that you that you can play uh, as well. So it's a uh, it, it's really cool to see like what like how you can like. Unexpectedly, like help each other, like uh, to to get like past like just really really dumb things that you see in the environment. They're like, okay, what what's a what's a good way to go about this? Like when we're infiltrating like another place, we're like, oh man, this jump is like really really far. I was like, oh, one of my one of the starting abilities I, that I got that is kind of picked out of whim was like was featherfall, and that may and that causes cast an AOE effect on the whole party that like for like um uh, for a few turns they don't uh, they don't take any falling damage so we can all jump down together and access places that you normally wouldn't like unless you uh, without taking damage normally but since of because of featherfall we now have like interesting traversal options uh and and, and access routes that uh that you know m maybe would have been more difficult for the, like other for other parties one thing that i actually thought was kind of neat in, in a very similar area was just things that I didn't quite understand why it was working that way at first, but it just makes sense. If you cast invisible, but pick up an item that's like on a shelf, people will still realize that the item is missing. And the same is true with mm -hmm. the pickpocket. Pickpocketing in this game is actually sort of really difficult relative to the other games that I've played anyways. In a lot of other games, you go to pickpocket, you go into like stealth mode or whatever, you go to a character, you try to pickpocket, you'll have a dice roll, and then if you pass, you get the item and you're done. However, in Baldur's Gate 3, and I actually had to Google this because I wasn't sure it was the intended behavior, even though it makes sense. If you pickpocket an item, 
you have to do the normal ability roll to successfully steal the item. But then unless you leave the area like carefully and stealthily, they'll still notice that something is like a miss because the item's now missing, right? Mm-hmm. So you usually have to pass a persuasion check as well because you'll be questioned and be like, hey, this item's now missing. Do you know anything about it? So there's like this double layer to being able to pilfer things, which makes it kind of tedious. So I'm kind of like, man, that's annoying. But also, if it wasn't that way, it'd be really easy to break the game open because you could go to any merchant and just like steal their whole inventory yeah. and then leave or whatever. So I'm kind of of two minds about it. I'm sure there's like a good combination of like spells and passives or whatever that you can still manage it. But every time you steal an item, you also got to be ready to like declare your innocence when they start snooping. And also, if you're invisible, you can steal items out of chests or boxes or whatever, and people won't question because it's not like missing from a tabletop. I'm not sure that's intended, but I I would think it is. So like in that treasure trove that you're talking about, I remember being invisible and stealing from it, and no one ever questioned me. It could also be because it's like part of the way, because proximity matters. There's usually so many systems under the hood where I'm not quite sure whether it's I got lucky or the positioning goes just no one was looking my way when I stole the item. Light of sight definitely does matter in this game. Like, yeah, like yeah. if you hold shift, like you can like see like kind of like their cone of vision, and like mm-hmm. even for like non-combat stuff, that'll come into effect. Like for example, um, we went to this bandits camp, and uh, I was able to persuade them that we were non-hostile when we were going in, so they disabled all the traps uh, in it. So we were, you know, it was kind of nice cruising in there. But then when I went to go uh, meet up with the leader of that bandit camp, um, we did something that um, they didn't like, and we didn't. There's no idea that we didn't know that, that they didn't like this. Um, so we kind of uh, got into a fight with them, but now that, that was fine. So like. We, we we beat them, uh, but then later, uh, like uh, further into like that, that ca- cavern where they they had this bandits camp at, there were like uh, other other non hostile uh, people. They were kind of like I don't know, they're like kind of servants uh, of them or or so forth. Um, but then there's like other uh, uh, other things like at the back that like oh, so we just kind of assume they're like non hostile. So like our dark urge starts like like. Uh, lock picking out in the open to like kind of get to like uh, the the back rooms to like uh, try to loot them, and then immediately they're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And like immediately we got into battle, and we're like kind of all split up and kind of in, in a bad position. Like there were some explosives nearby that like they shot into and like immediately down the dark urge. I was barely like it almost hit me, but it did. But I was on a wooden bridge, and like I and I couldn't get to uh, the dark urge type to like kind of help him back up. Uh, because there were like two wolves surrounding me, um, and so I, I was engaged with them. So, in a very funny uh, manner, that like it just kind of slipped all of our minds. It was like the the mage tried to help me out to like kind of get the wolves off of me so I could uh, go and help the dark urge, and like he's a, he's like a ranged spellcaster, and he he chose the shatter spell, and what we all well he I didn't know uh, the rest I didn't know except him he forgot. Like when he cast a shatter, it broke the wooden bridge that I was on beneath me. So it killed the two uh, wolves, but it also downed me at like this uh, less elevated platform that was easier, I mean, not more difficult to reach as well. So like it was a pretty losing battle. We didn't wipe. Like it didn't help that like our uh, one of our ogre uh, front linesmen, like he's like uh, or she's like a, and, and like has like a spear or halberd, like their character uh, as a female ogre. And um, 
and, and like they kept doing their uh, like min, min damage rolls. So like, like even though that the, the, like they're very strong, sometimes you know the die just kind of doesn't work in your favor, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere they hit like for thirty four non crit, uh, uh, and and so forth. So it's just one of those things. Like we were able to overcome this uh, uh, fight. It was a long and kind of arduous fight where like half of us were pretty much. <laughs> down for like most of it. Uh, l- luckily, we were able to the the ones who were down, which is the dark urge, and I we were able to succeed in our 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 death rolls for for a good while, and we were able to get back up and get back to the fight while it was like mostly over. But it's just one of those things that like a very small thing that you don't think about in the in, in, when you're out of combat, and like you just assume like oh yeah, no, like even like the the rest of the people here are not hostile, so like obviously they won't like come attack us because like it seems like they they're cool with us. It's like no, like they're still gonna get mad if like you try to like kind of like break into their fucking uh, other other places and like you're just in their sight, like you know they're not gonna take it like lying down. Uh, so it can lead to like something really disastrous like that, almost almost like party wiped. Uh, but we were able to overcome it, and it was really funny when <laughs> when the wooden bridge shattered uh, uh, beneath. I'm like, what the fuck happened? He's like, oh. <laughs> I, I had a similar thing with the spider fight in like the cave area where uh-huh. you can the spiders will crawl on their webs, but you can destroy the webs under them to uh, to knock them down and get them prone. And I had like a character on a web where I'm like, well, if my character dies, I can just or like goes down, I can pick them back up. So I'll just have like this one character like be a be an expendable target, sit on the web, try to taunt the other uh, the uh, spider over, and then just knock them both down, and then take out the spider and pick up my dude. Like, thanks for taking one for the team. Uh, and but one yeah. thing I think I should say, because we haven't made it clear, is that when you mentioned the Dark Urge, one thing that Baldur's Gate 3 has that is clearly a borrowed mechanic from Divinity Original Sin 2, which is where I believe it was introduced, is the origin character. So this game has like obviously a series of companions. They've been you know pretty well regarded in the marketing, like Shadowheart, Asterion, Gale, Wynn, all those. So you can pick one of those characters as your origin character, so you take the role of that character, and one of those is the Dark Urge. Um, or you can create a custom character, which is what I did. Uh, and then those characters will just simply be party members. But I believe the Dark Urge, if you don't play it as him as or them as your um, origin character, they'll still appear in the game as an NPC in some fashion. I haven't encountered them yet. So that one's kind of a unique case where they're only playable if you select them as the origin character. Um, obviously not from the original Baldur's Gate, that is from original Sin 2, but it's kind of fun if you want to if you want to play as like a predetermined character, um, but still obviously have control over their specific attributes and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think about one of my crowning achievements uh, in my playthrough so far is um, we were at this goblin village and my character just kind of was wandering around and wandered into like a really potentially bad, dangerous situation. Where there's like there's three big ogres kind of munching down. And like they look at they're looking at me and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna eat you next." So I had to like really talk my way out of that one. Like I like I had like a like a a twenty die roll check there, and like I was able to pass it uh, like on my first roll, I believe. And like due to like what I uh, what I uh, selected during that conversation, which could have been bad because like these three ogres like all had the potential to just kill us on their own. Um, uh, instead, out of that uh, conversation that I had with them, I was able to convince them I'm not hostile. We're on your side, and uh, they gave me uh, like this special one-time use item where I can blow on this horn, and they will fight for us in a battle. 
their lab one time. I didn't I use got, it yet. I got the but... item too, and I'm still holding on to it. I'm like, yeah, hold on to it when it. I need it. I'll probably yeah. get like the final boss, and I'll be like, oh, I still got this horde. I guess I'll try it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that was really cool. It's like, I just wondering, like, what the fuck is that? It's like, what the fuck did you do? It's like, oh, well, I'm in, the, I'm in here now. And that's where I, that's where I proved my, my talking chops in the game. We're like, all right, I, I'm the speaker of this group. I got it under control, and so far it's been working out. Most of the times I was able, I've been able to speak. It's been, it, ver- it has been working in our favor. James, what have you uh, like? What race and class did you pick? Uh, Tiefling barbarian. How's that going? That's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. I really do like how tieflings, like the very first like encampment that you're likely to meet, is basically an encampment of tieflings or tieflings, tieflings, which. They also have a pretty major role in um, Pathfinder, uh, Wrath of the Righteous, which is, of course, like Pathfinder originally got spun off of D&D, I believe, third edition. Um, so it's really cool to see because, like, I don't think I don't think I've played a lot of other games where they're quite as prominent early on. But there is like you, you encounter a lot of them early on. There's actually a pretty early quest, like when you're getting when you when the ship crash lands, this is all like within the first couple hours of the game. And you're like regathering your party. I guess we should probably go into the story premise. We really haven't done that. <laughs> we'll go into that after this. Um, when you when you're when the ship crash lands and you're trying to like regather your party, uh, the Githyanki character is like being interrogated by some tieflings. But the the dwarf that I picked was the I'm I'm probably gonna butcher this name like Durger Duger. It's like the the dark cave dwarf. That's, yeah, and as that character, first of all, it's kind of been interesting how often and um, frequently people reference my race in in the game. So it's like it seems like it really does quite matter. And you might say like mechanically does it matter i'm not sure because i haven't played as the other class to like compare and contrast like whether or not actually plays the actual mechanical role but but just in terms of the narrative lots of people have been calling me out like oh you've come from the caves or whatever i don't see don't see a lot of your kind up here etc and those two tieflings were initially hostile until and this is kind of dumb uh since I had the um, the game on early access, I got like the digital deluxe edition upgrade, which doesn't give you a lot of things. It gives you just some like silly underwear garments or whatever. But one of the things it does give you is an amulet that allows you to shapeshift and cast that once per long rest. So I used that to disguise myself as a thief, as a tiefling, and then uh, they were no longer hostile to me. So it's just kind of just kind of fun to see like the um, like these these abilities. There, a lot of them are very specifically about combat mechanics like how many times can you cast it in a battle how many times can you use it per short rest or long rest but there are some like invisibility like leaping abilities like being able to um there's an ability where you can basically port to any place you can see so even if you can't leap to it if you can see it you can port to it like for your wizard there's a lot of abilities that are just about exploration or even just like through dialogue like charming people things like that uh and even even the charm person uh ability has like uses both in and out of battle and i had a i had a scroll of charm person on me which is used to give you advantage on charisma based checks like for instance i believe performance is one of those and i had forgot that i had it and i was doing a performance check and similar to the thing i mentioned before at the bottom of the dice roll it's like hey you have this scroll do you want to use it to help your chance on this check so i just think that's really smart because otherwise in these games like typically i end up with like so many scrolls that i forget to even look at like that like oh this scroll could actually be useful in this situation i should try using it or the game is like hey you ha- you're doing a check where this scroll applies do you want to use it and i know i'm kind of beating that horse uh, or beating that drum kind of uh, a lot but it's just 
Um, other games of this style don't haven't done that. And it's really kind of, I'm really appreciating that it does it here. The kind of the smart in inventory application when you're doing tasks in the game. Yeah, I, it combat. really it really shows like how much like work this game has been put, like how, like how much work Larry has put into this game ever since like its early access release. I mean, even before early access release. Um, like just the amount of polish and care that has been put into this game is astounding. It's been amazing. Like it feels there's like a like a large variety of freedom that like like it just that just feels like you're at, like it's at your disposal. Like like you don't you never know exactly like how things are gonna turn out and the way that the how the way things turn out never is never really quite what was in your mind and like and kind of considering like the possibilities of how you could like tackle things is like. It's kind of like almost borderline overwhelming, but it, but it like, but I think you just have to uh, think of it in the framework of like this is my playthrough. I'm gonna play through it the way I want to. There's like no right or wrong way to go about things. Things just kind of like happen because of like both factors I can and can't control. Uh, like for example, like that tiefling village that like you were talking about. Like it's like uh, I'm thinking about it's like. Yeah, that's like that's the village that kind of like we started a civil war in, and very early on, uh, all the tieflings were like slaughtered in my playthrough, uh, mm -hmm. in there, and like Durga, we kind of like kind of murdered the shit out of Durga, uh, early on, <laughs> um, not because like it like it was like one of our like obvious option in front of us. It's like it's like kind of just things just happen, and we didn't know why uh, things happen, but like hey, they're hostile to us, um, and we're gonna take them down, and like and that and that and that story like kind of loops back around. On like the things that, uh, as a result of what happened there, um, at, probably at worth mentioning. Point. This is obvious, but I'm gonna mention it anyways. It's not like these are like random. It's more there's there's like rules to everything in the yeah. game, but there's so many different permutations and combinations of how things can turn out that it almost feels random. But yeah, it like but there's rules behind like how everything happens. Yeah. And, and that that it just it just feels like very very refreshing in that regard. Like and it's it's really cool to see that like they've they they presented it in a way that like feels consumable for people who are like are like are also not like into like big D and D tabletop. Like you know you don't need to be like super super familiar with like that that sort of like rule set that whole realm. Like still have fun with the game, um as well. And I, I really appreciate that. And I also heard that, like, from people who who played early access and going to this game, just like the amount of like just like the overall experience is like just so much better. Like you were saying, like the UI is like a million times better since early access. Uh, immediately when you went to the full game, it's like yeah, you just can feel like the level of additional polish that has been put into this game, and it's just like it's just super impressive, you know. Like I I really just really am having like a a really enjoyable time, and I I, I look at, I'm I always look forward now to like it's like I can't wait for our next session. Uh, and seeing what kind of shit we go at. like we really play like maybe like, maybe like four to five hours like you know every time we play play together but like so much fucking happens <laughs> in that that's just like unbelievable you know we 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 have a, like an we have like an infamous screenshot now that uh that that we took uh, last night when uh my character was getting boned uh by this um um drow uh commander that we met and. Uh, yeah, the sex scenes of this game are, uh, <laughs> they're a lot more graphic than you think. <laughs> I'll give it a Well, I, I remember just even on the character creator, you can just inspect your character nude and change their, you know, genitals and how they look. Which, yeah, you, you can know, have penis, penis A, penis B, penis C, or vulva A, vulva D, you know, yeah, uh, yeah multiple <laughs> options. 
And to me, it's just like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, like a lot of people, I think, are making a bigger deal out of it than it is. Like, oh my god, this game is nudity. I'm like, yeah, uh, it does. I mean, people said the same thing about Cyberpunk, you know? Yeah. I think I've seen that video clip with the squirrel. I'm not sure what I'm talking about. Oh, if you kill the one where you kick it. Yeah. It's pretty over the top. I wasn't expecting that. There are two abilities in the game that are very much Larian abilities. Um, speak with animals and speak with the dead. Uh, speak with the dead might be D&D, but speak with animals like I remember that was a big kind of selling point of divinity games as well. And especially around the Druid village, which is a key point of one of the early story things, there's a lot of animals to speak to. So I would definitely I think you can very easily give it to one of the companions will the ability to speak with animals. And there's there's things that people who decide not to invest in that ability or try it out are going to miss. But then there's also like this game is so densely packed in terms of not just like the characters and the stories and the environments and the quests, but like the fact that every single area, if you speak to an NPC that doesn't seeming like seem like they have anything meaningful going on, they'll still have like a unique line of dialogue to give you, even if it doesn't like lead to anything. And like I put on the speak with animals ability and I spoke to some squirrels like there were some squirrels that were listening to a character try to play a lute very poorly and they're like oh god make it stop or whatever so like a um uh like a you know a lampooning of like sleeping booty beauty or whatever uh and then there was like a bear that was sleeping at the bottom of a of a lift that needed to get a move and i'm just like can you please move and he's like oh sure that was inconsiderate of me and he just moved <laughs> and like invest in the speak to animals ability uh it's, it's pretty fun uh and there's a lot of extra dialogue and Every, I haven't used it as much, but the, the speak with corpses ability. I've like, used it. <laughs> I use that. <laughs> it's interesting because like you think like there's no way this corpse has some unique dialogue because it's just like a random corpse, right? But no, it does. So there's that when I forget like Larry and I remember they did this more with Divinity Original Sin 2 than they did with Baldur's Gate. One of the things they used to market was like how many lines of dialogue they had. Like we have 15,000 unique lines of dialogue. That's 5,000 more than the last game. I don't remember what it is, but that's one of the things where I can see like eventually those numbers just kind of get like too big to like really physically mean anything. But I, when you play through the game, you can kind of see exactly why. Like, oh, wow, there's lots of little things where you get dialogue if you use different abilities or if you try to sneak and do things certain ways that certain people aren't just going to even run into based on the way you play the game. Yeah. Uh, I, I also had a rap battle with like a public speaker who was getting like, uh, and, and like the goblins were not getting happy with like, uh, of that, uh, jester like losing that, uh, rap battle and they slowly caged him up. So, like, well, you know, that's how it goes. You just suck. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, this game is like, it's very goofy, it's very self aware, but it does it in a, in a very, like, in a very playful way. Uh, like, I, I really appreciate like the, the, the tone of humor they're going for in this game. It's like it's like very almost like nerd nerdy dorky humor, which I which I appreciate. Oh, the humor in this game I do think is a lot better than like the humor in Baldur's Gate one and two is really a product of its time. And not yeah. only that, but because um there's not nearly like as much voice acting at all. Uh, it's gotta be conveyed through text and through like caps, and it's very, very silly. It's very, very like Monty Python-esque. Here, well, I think one of the funniest moments of Baldur's Gate 3 so far, first of all, the humor is subtle. I would, I would say Baldur's Gate 3 is a lot less whimsical than like Divinity Sin 1 and 2, especially 1. Divinity's original Sin 1 is very whimsical, almost to its detriment. 
where two was a lot more straight laced, but kept a little bit of that flavor. And Baldur's Gate three, I feel that as well. You end up uh, one of the characters that's with you is Astarion. He is a rogue, and eventually, very early in his story, learned that he is a vampire. Though he's more like what I would consider like a thrall or a ghoul. He was like bit by a vampire. But he's not actually like a vampire himself, but he calls himself a vampire and he's being hunted. And you find like one of these hunters, like in the south side of the first region, that's looking for Astarion. And even if you have Astarion in your party, he doesn't realize that that's him. So, of course, you can kind of uh, there's options to be, you know, discreet about it and not give him away. There's options just to be an ass and say, here he is. But there's also like pretty humorous options where it's like, oh, so you're looking for a guy named Astarion. Astarion, what do you think about that <laughs> when he's in your party or whatever? <laughs> so, so, so it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty subtle and it's, 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 it's fun without being like obnoxious or the tone of the game. Otherwise, is pretty, I won't say like super grim dark, but it plays it straight laced, at least in the in the. Um, in the initial area, but it carves out these little air, these little moments that give it a little bit of levity. Um, there's also some like pretty kind of like sad or somber moments. Like you find like a dog that uh, is near like the corpse of its owner. And if you speak to him, you don't have to speak to him, but it, either way you can tell, obviously he's very sad and distraught, but then you can kind of adopt him. And then he comes to your camp. You can do the same thing with like an owl bear cub. And it's very silly because uh, you can end up being responsible for its mother's death. Then you end up recruiting it. So there's some moments that are like really pull on your heartstrings as well. Um, and then there's, of course, like early on in the game, there's a lot of mystery about, I guess here, here we are, like how far are we into this podcast? 40 minutes. We really haven't talked about this, this story narrative, uh, which I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on because it's not what I end up thinking about most of the time in this game. Most of the time I think about how the, the gears are working, how and exploring the different areas. But for those that haven't followed the game since early access, the very high level story premise is that your character and a selection of many characters are abducted and are aboard a Mind Flayer Nautilus. And each character has been kind of infected with a sort of parasite, like a leech that ends up going into their brain and giving them like these ithylid, like psionic powers. Now, normally, under most circumstances, the conventional wisdom of the world is that these characters will eventually turn into mind flayers themselves within like a few days. However, your characters are not. They just have these ithylid powers and they've had them for weeks and they're not turning. And the, the big question is like, why aren't you turning? Was this intended? Was it not? What's the what's the reason for this? And then very early on, and this is something that's kind of given away a little bit when you're at character creation. When you're at character creation, you are asked after you create your character to very quickly create, um, I forget exactly what they call them. But guardian. the uh, Guardian, that's it. Uh, basically choose the, like the, the gender and race of a guardian character that basically speaks to you in your dreams. And this character, uh, after a few long rests, you end up dreaming about them. And they basically say like, you know, the world of Faerun is, uh, is at risk. We need you to harness the powers of the Ithalid. I can help keep you safe. And it's like, do we trust this person? Do we not trust this person? Um, and I'm not far enough in the game to really, I can't possibly spoil it because I don't know like what the outcomes are, but you can like go, uh, you can go all in early on and say, yeah, I'm not scared of the consequences. I'm going to totally abuse this as much as I can. Every single time you have the ability to use this power, it actually has like a specific call out. Like whenever you're using your different dialogue options, there's call outs for like strength, charisma, intimidation, whatever. There's a call out called Ithalid, which is basically like, you know, taking advantage of that power that you have. And I feel like, 
I wonder if you get different endings based on how many times you use it, but I don't know for certain. This this other NPC is saying, don't worry about it. You should have to use it. You have to in order to save the world, but I don't. I won't tell you specifically why. So there's a lot of intrigue uh, and a lot of questions that within the first 10 or 15 hours, you really haven't answered. Within the first 10 hours or so, it's all about basically there's three major factions in the area. There's the goblins. There's the... Um, the refugees, which are mostly tieflings, and then there's the druids. Uh, and how you there's a lot of proposed options for the way you deal with those. And I I think if you go into like the early access forums, of course, a lot of the permutations have been sussed out at this point, but how they how they play out for like long-term ramifications are still kind of being doled out. Of course, like I said, we we we've all played this for only five to 10 to maybe 15 hours at the most. Uh, we, we don't have any like additional information that, because uh, we didn't really get the code very early. And I, this is the sort of game where it'll probably take the combined effort of all the players, all half a million of them that are playing at the same time or whatever, to suss out exactly how things work. And there have been a few, we, we talked about a level of polish uh, in terms of all the sorts of things that Larian has considered in terms of the way the game mechanics work to the games like, I, I don't want to say detriment, but because it is so many like interlocking systems like that, there are ways that the game can kind of break or work in unintended ways. Uh, for instance, one thing that I did early on that I couldn't quite tell if it was intended or not, but early on in the tiefling village, there's like a like a little gang of young tiefling children that you either can get on your side or you can kind of treat them like brats and um, kind of treat them like you know, like they're like they're no good, um, just like thieves and burglars. And I kind of got on their bad side. And the leader of this little kid gang was basically like, you'll come to regret this. Uh, and then the the authorities of the town came to me and basically said, hey, this character basically reported you. What do you have to say for yourself? And he had to pass like a persuasion or intimidation check to to basically alleviate any um, suspicion on you. However, I for for whatever reason, I had to do that for each of my four characters, which I didn't oh. know if that was intended. Like, here's my main character. Here comes the cop. Hey, you've been accused of this. What do you say for yourself? And then I had a starion in my party. He was approached. Hey, you've been accused of this. What do you have to say for yourself? And then I had Gail in my party. You've been accused of this. What do you have to say for yourself? And of course, certain characters are much better at being persuasive than others. So I kind of had to like find a way to like navigate through this with characters with very different skill sets to figure to because I cause I wanted to keep I wanted to stay in their good graces. Of course, I could have just rolled with the punches and been like, whatever, we're hostile now or whatever. I'm in jail now. But I didn't want to do that. So I had to figure out my way through that. And that was a little bit tedious, but that was a little bit self-imposed because I didn't know if it was intended. And there's certain ways where things don't work as intended. And I assume that's the reason why they just like Adam mentioned, they've already fixed like 150 bugs. Because there's so many ways to approach uh basically anything in this game where they can't possibly have conf configured, you know, all the different permutations in which you can do these things because they're the game is offering all the tools to the player so those are the things that i assume will be polished up and sussed out probably very frequently over the first month so i guess us yeah. PC players are kind of gonna are gonna kind of be the beta testers for that but that said it's nothing that's really hampered my enjoyment at all um, yeah, the the only the only real things that like are like are kind of minor obviously minor like in the grand spectacle of things that that uh, my friends and i have come across is like one sometimes like the like hitboxes on like when selecting enemies can be kind of janky. Because if you're trying to do like more 
find precise like movements and actions and like the way that like en uh, uh, enemies are positioned on the battlefield sometimes like the the hitbox doesn't line up like say you're trying to hit something it's like you're clearly hovering over it but it's saying that like you don't have line of line, line of sight on it or something like that so um some issues with that are are are, are still there um like very minute is like like say what was the what are the name of the abilities that you can just like freely freely cast and like with no repercussions um it's like it's like like true strike and like the illusion one and like the illumination one like though that like that um category of abilities some of them like like the mage's hand like it says you could it's one of those abilities that you can freely cast but it's like it's like uh for whatever reason right now you can only cast it once per like uh, uh and then you have to wait for a short rest to like refill it for whatever reason even though it's like one of those abilities that you should be you should be able to freely cast which oh, is like kind of that, that is a bit strange yeah so it's just, it's just like like in the overall scope of things like there are these like you know it's like 95 percent of it it's still probably working you know as well as, as from what i can see right now is like working as intended um which is very pretty impressive, uh, especially because of like just the scope of the game once again. And then I'm sure in the coming months, like it'll it'll they'll squash out, you know, uh, tune up any sort of like hiccups. Like, so I'm willing to forgive it because it's so complex, and you can tell how complex it is just by pouring some hours into it. Just like, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of gears spinning in behind the scenes on this one. This might be an unpopular opinion, but um, having played. Now, I haven't played one of these types of games in the last several years uh, since, like, doing the original Sin... Or, sorry, um, Deadfire in, like, 2018 or so. One thing I always feel like whenever I play these games is that there's just too many spells. Mm. There's just... There's so many spells. Like, for, for for the cantrips, which are the spells you can cast repeatedly, you don't oh, yeah, have long yeah. rest between them. There's, like, one for every element. Then there's, like, a few, like, more um, boon-supporty ones. And there's probably, like, 10 or 11 or 12 different cantrips. And then, like... Then a lot of them are are have kind of buffed counterparts for level one and level two, and like even though my wizard is like level four, and I believe the max level in this game right now is level twelve, which I believe for a typical long term tabletop session that's very typical is to have a level twelve cap. Basically, that what that means is that every level up is very significant. Uh, it's you know, it's very impactful if you're level four and your enemy's level five, you can feel it, um, which I always think is good. But there's like so like whenever I look at like my hot bar at the bottom of the screen for like any of my spellcasters, just there's just so many options, and I almost wish there were fewer choices. Maybe my brain is just not big enough. This is why you can make a custom one. <laughs> yeah, but because usually I just find like all right, if I want to deal damage, these are the two I like. If I want to be able to pour to a place that I see, I like this spell, and this spell helps for ability checks. And you kind of find like your favorite four or five, and then you've got all these other little niche application ones like this spell helps you with dexterity saving throws and like that's i'm sure that's good for certain situations but it's too niche for me to like keep that's why you want to that's why there's literally a custom hot bar that you can build for yourself i really do like how the hot bar works in terms of like this i don't know what you call them but like the sliders like on the yeah. left side you have like all your martial actions like your your main actions and then in the middle you have like your bonus actions these are things like dashing or doing an extra attack with your offhand or whatever and then on your on like the right side you have like your uh like item based ones or spell based abilities and based on the character you can kind of like you can you can adjust how much real estate is on each part of the bar and you can make the bar like two three four rows tall um which none of that stuff is 
super unique to this game. Other games have had very similar things for customizing the hotbar, but just the, the the way it's implemented, it's very fluid. Like you can literally just like click and drag uh, and create more space for items or more space for spells, depending on the character. And it's just it's just really neat and really intuitive. So I kind of wanted to give a shout out to that. But but the, like in terms of like you know, it's kind of it's kind it's kind of it's one of those weird things that like. Like you know, kind of criticizing the game for having too many spells. It's like, well, that's just D and D, you know. That's that's the spell selection. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is just D and D. And what I yeah. need to do is, I just need to sit down and like, instead of just saying like, I like magic missile, I just keep casting that. Or as a level two spellcaster, I really like um the scorching ray spell. Just like, all right, I'm gonna actually try out some of these other spells and make sure that like I, I do something that synergizes with my armor like if I, have, if I have abilities that do extra damage whenever i do poison damage I actually look at what these spells do which ones are long range which are in a short range which ones are recharged on short rest or long I, range. I, and it's also one of those things like you don't need to learn everything right away too it's kind of like a gradual process too right like on a set like on a say another playthrough down the road like you can like try to do something different like the knowledge that you gained on like pro, uh, previous playthroughs as well it's not like you don't have to push right. yourself to like learn everything in one go Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of spells so if you like yes. spells there are a lot of spells I, and I think I said this earlier but the game does do a really good job uh, when, when you go to the spell screen showing like these are your cantrips these are your class abilities these are the spells you learned that you have slotted and you have prepared so I really did like how the UI helps someone like me who has a hard time wrapping their mind around all the different spell options. The tooltips are very easy to follow, and I've found good ways to keep, like, normally I wouldn't have my fighter specialize into the, whatever it's called, like the Eldritch Knight, to cast magic, because I'm like, oh, I'm too I'm too simple brain for that. I either want to be all martial or, or all melee. I'm like, you know what, I'll try something more hybrid. Uh so the the game the, the the game does a good job kind of easing you into it, and for those that want to dig in and learn it, it's it it is approachable. It's not some uh, incomprehensible thing. And 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 you get to see like the future is pretty bright for this game. Like you know, you had like you know a very very great start as we were talking about earlier, but like a, an ongoing theme that we've been talking about on this podcast for you know many many weeks now is like when you think about like games with legs. So well, will this game have legs? Will it have continued? like support vault like are there is there like any meaningful thing to do after you play the game and with this game you can tell right away like you know if you if you're the type of person that like wants to see like different permutations in, the, in different play playthroughs like this is that game because you can see just like you can have like one playthrough we can be drastically differently from like the next one depending mm -hmm. on like what, what sorts of character you make what sorts of party compositions you make whether you play it with yourself or with other people and the and the sorts of like things you decide to do and seeing like different outcomes to a side quest and seeing what what like how different decisions can have uh multiple ripple effects down the line for like you know uh, other parts of the game like this is a game that like you can just tell right away that like you will spend many 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 hours on if you really want to see like not everything because that'll be a way too long but at least you know a good chunk of things that the game has to offer like this is a game you can tell right away will have legs so this one thing we haven't quite answered yet, and this might be a bit obvious, but we haven't really talked about, is the game good? I like it a lot. <laughs> I think game's very good. <laughs> if you guys get it though. Game of the year. I don't know. I, I mean, it's very, it's one of my favorite games I've played this year so far. Uh, I don't know if it's like going to be on my game of the year. You'll see down the line when like, you know, maybe I put more hours into it and like uh, get further onto my playthrough, but for me, I've had a very, very strong, good first impression so far. 
I'm mostly, and I've already talked about this, but I don't mind hammering it home, just how dense the game is. Like you can spend, like you, you enter a room that has just like a lot of bookshelves and maybe a couple NPCs and you could spend 40 minutes in there just digging around, uh, finding all the like secrets, figuring out like, oh, how does this relate to what I've learned previously reading the books? Um, it's it's a pace of game that I feel like so many other RPGs now are, or either RPGs or games that just slap on like a progression tree or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, we have RPG elements or this is an action RPG. And this game is like truly like, no, you really like kind of immerse yourself and you really learn a, a huge cast of characters and they all have unique voice acting. One of the things I credited my way back when the Divinity Original Sin 2 uh, game for, I believe, is that compared to Divinity Original Sin 1, Divinity Original Sin 2, basically everything was voice acted, even like the smallest NPC. Even if an NPC just has like very rote standard dialogue, you speak to them and they'll say their one line of dialogue uh, and it's voice acted. And in this game, not only is it voice acted, but it changes to that more like traditional third person perspective and not the isometric perspective, which is just kind of a style thing. Some people might not mind that. Some people might think it's more immersive, but it really is quite neat where you, th you see a character that's not related to any quest and you talk to them and they might have three or four or five different lines of dialogue for you to learn more about them or the area. This game is just so dense and you can spend like, like Josh said on a single playthrough, a ton of time. And then on a second playthrough, you can spend a ton of time again and see something completely different, which I think is to the game's credit. Is does, does that make the game good? That might be up to uh, you know someone's interpretation or their own preference. But I, it's just it's it's a time sink in in a good way, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm looking forward looking forward to like seeing what my solo playthrough look like because I made a solo character, but I haven't really put that much time into it because co-op has been you know pre pretty regularly right now. Um, but I, I made a kind of a drow like cleric. And I only like got off the tutorial section. I don't know what I'm gonna do with them yet, but uh, but I I think like you know like the 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 you know there's there's pros and cons to like doing a solo playthrough and a, and a, and a co-op playthrough like you know co-op depending on how many people you have like like I do I do a full uh four four player full uh, co-op playthrough and like but the the thing that you miss in co-op is like the party banter between your characters because you're all playing your own custom character. Uh, in there, uh, if you're all making custom characters, and just like you know, the the, the banter is like the 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 conversation you strike up with your friends, whether you're role playing or not. Meanwhile, like the, like the solo or maybe duo playthrough, you know, you'll get to see more like the the banter between like uh, characters like you recruit uh, in your playthrough and seeing how that 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 party building and that relationship like you know comes into fruition uh, in that in that sense. And that's a, that's something that you know people should try out but both flavors of the game and both like you know styles of uh, gameplay because like it, i i really i really appreciate that you know like there's not a lot of like big big budget super polished like rpgs especially crpgs that you can fully co-op like regularly even like just co-op rpgs that you can co-op really even up to four people you know and just seeing like a release of this caliber come out and really nail it and it just feels so good to like you know interact with your with your other party members in a meaningful way they're, they're not just there to fill up screen real estate and like for manpower like you're all you're all contributing something to the to, to your goal in your own way and that feels super meaningful and you, you all and you all have stories and uh, things to talk about with each other and like uh, recounting like you know like oh remember that shit that we did yesterday you know like yeah. dude that was hilarious <laughs> and, like, and like we still we're, we're still laughing you know like about our entire playthrough because it's just been a blast I think this game, 
if you've got like the friend group or just the one other friend or two friends or whoever that you can really set aside like the time to have like a regular session and have like the discipline to go through and play the game completely in co-op it would be a really quite you know a really 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 fun experience so we'll almost certainly also talk more about Baldur's Gate 3 next week once we are farther and potentially we can get our reviewer on the podcast as well who's had by by a nose a little bit more time with the game uh with a with a little bit of a head start but we'll talk a little bit more about how the game pass uh progresses past the first act does it hold up of course if larian puts any more significant fixes into the game if anything super significant we can talk about those uh and go into that next week with uh going a little bit deeper into how the different storylines progress how if the game holds up or does it kind of crater in the, the second and third acts and just see kind of uh, if our perspective changes on it as we go forward. So the next thing that I have listed here is not explicitly for a game, or maybe it is, it's for the Grand Blue Fantasy Summer Streaming event. And I'll be honest, I will have to hand this off to either Josh or Chow, because I know that this game, uh, this event has been referenced. People were expecting more news about either Grand Blue Fantasy Relink or Grand Blue um, you're thinking of the fighting game probably grab blue fantasy versus uh, Rising. i just thought i just thought it had a subtitle i guess not uh, i apologize you see this is why i'm handing it off uh so was this summer event specifically for the mobile game or for the fighting game or for relink or kind of the whole ip it is just the mobile game it's nothing just but the mobile, mobile game. game all right so imagine i told josh to stay up like till 7 a.m to watch all that news uh, you wow. know, i was like i'd rather get my sleep because that, like, yeah, the side games is holding your Grand, Grand Blue Fantasy summer stream, and like, you know, just uh, the once again, anytime side games has a has a stream the, or event these days, people are gonna be like, oh man, do I stay up for to get more news on the fighting game or the or and or the RPG? I'm like, you know, I, I'm so past that. that I'm like, I'm not staying up six hours for like twenty minutes of news of like of some that may or may not be there, you know. And sure enough, yeah. I, was, I, I made I made the right decision. I was like, I'm just getting my sleep. Yeah, they chose to um, was it have all the fighting game news at Evo because apparently uh, Evo is ongoing right now. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I have it on my my other monitor just watching the finals. But yeah, uh, like what they showed at Evo, they had a, a special industry panel there for uh, like the fighting game developers to show off, like you know what they want to share on the first day on like the the main stage uh, and the mainstream. So side games there, um, they showed off, you know. Um, Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising, which is the follow-up to the to versus, and then so they they uh, showed the character trailer for Nier there. Um, then they showed off like uh, they announced that Grimnir is going to be uh, also a playable character uh, versus Rising. Uh, they were going over like the the like the more of the modes in the Fall Guys um, uh, mode they're adding to the game in online multiplayer lobbies, um, and just 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 general like other. Um, stuff like like just like minor stuff that'll that'll uh, carry over from the original game into like the sequel, which is like story progress, any like online trophies you may have had, like any like yeah, any special skins that you may have won in the in the first game and so forth. But and then they also announced that like you know they're gonna have like alternative costumes for characters coming in versus rising as well. But you are complaining. It's like, oh, why can't Guilty Gear get old costumes for characters? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it, you know, but people are going to be like that, and uh, I get it to some extent. 
But um, and they, they also had to re-clarify because that uh, because I don't know why it took them to, this long to like finally like get a, a clear message out to people. But they they had to clarify once again that Versus Rising is not an update to um like not it's not like a patch update or a firmware update to to Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Like it's a whole new separate product that you will have to rebuy uh, once they start selling it because it, it's like a, they had to basically rebuild the game from the ground up to incorporate the rollback netcode for online multiplayer. Because, um, you know, that's... The, the, yeah, but there's an ongoing thing with fighting games, like, to have rollback, like, you'll hear it from developers time and time again, it's like, you need to build the game from the ground up with that in mind from the get-go if you're going to incorporate rollback into the game. It's not something that you can just like easily patch in, like, gracefully. You know, there, there are a few fighting game uh, games that have done it, uh, but it's not, it's very few and far between, and like uh, most of them, if they want like a smooth roll uh, rollback experience, they need to really build the game from the ground up, and that that's what side games basically sound on stage. It's like, yeah, we we basically we 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 like all the development costs for, that we put into the first game, we basically had to do that again plus more for this game. <laughs> it's like I'm not sure that pays off because I I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the people that were interested in the fighting game, they just bought it. Originally, to get the mobile good bonus, those are for like the hardcore Grand Blue players, and the people that don't really know anything about Grand Blue, they just come in here, and I think the the original netcode soured their impression of the game, and then as time well, went that's, on, that's the thing with side games. Like they can always do that fucking trick again of like getting Grand Blue codes into versus Rising and get easy sales. I don't like that practice uh, personally. I think it's really really cheap. Uh, yeah, they do it all the time. Like even for the animes, and everyone yeah. like if you read like anime sites, it'll be like, "Hmm, the number one selling anime is Grand Blue for some reason. I don't know why, but can someone clarify this?" And you know, the staff actually doesn't know that. And the reason why is like you get these awesome end game items in the mobile game if you buy the DVDs. You know. Yeah, it's uh, like um, yeah, I, I don't, I do not like that practice, but you know, the, but that's what makes them easy money because people who are so invested in the mobile game will easily. Uh, you cough up the money just get the, like they basically buy buy the game get the code and then like resell the game or let the game run yeah i'm like, actually care more about that bonus than the fucking game itself exactly and then, so, yeah. so like what does that say about the game itself you know that kind uh, of stuff. does it have any integrity probably not. No, so no but that's that's you know personal feelings aside on that practice you know that that's what they shared at evo uh, for the most part um they did they, they, they haven't announced a release date yet they might say something at the finals uh, which is later on today or tomorrow, I forgot, uh, as of this recording. But um, obviously, they didn't show off Relink there, the RPG. So this is our fighting game event. Um, so obviously not going to have Relink there. But they, they, they did say at the summer stream, like when I was catching up with uh, the news on it, was like they're going to show off, Bob, they're going to hold another event for, uh, or a stream for, uh, specifically for, uh, versus Rising and Relink uh, sometime in September, like September 16th or 18th or something. Um, yeah, they're traveling around to promote the game. Um, yeah, they're doing, the... like, they're, they're doing media tours and showing off the games. So yeah, we'll, one of the we'll tours see how was in Medium uh, in uh, Las Vegas, wasn't it? So I'm not sure um, that's part of no, the you're, I, I, you're, I mean, you're thinking about Evo. Evo's at Las Vegas. Uh, mm. So you, it, it, the, the media tours are going to be at San Francisco and London. Okay. So... But yeah, there was all that news for it. Uh, are you interested in any Grand Blue characters for the fighting game? I mean, Grimner is a 
literally the most popular character. Even guys would go simp for him. This is this is Grimnir's popularity. I feel like I feel like I care about like having like a decent fighting game first before like I, I don't really know any Grand Blue characters outside from like the characters that my friends like. Like and barely I barely even remember their name and appearance. They just like have to remind me every time. Yeah. Um but I I care more about like hey are they gonna make the fighting game better and like based on like the feedback for the closed beta test on uh, versus rising, um they kinda dumbed it down in in ways that did not that, that most people in the community didn't like like the actual players who played the like the first game they didn't like what they did to the game uh, overall so they were like well you know we'll make changes to the game based on feedback from the closed network test and or what or whatever network test they were holding and go from there and see if like you know if they can get that game and j because there's there's this this is gonna be this is gonna suck for the game if like if they went all, uh, they spent all that time, money, and energy to like build the game once again to finally incorporate rollback netcode that literally everyone fucking wanted in the first game, only for that game to come out and like no one likes it. No one likes the actual fighting game itself. So like once again, they spent uh, they burned up a lot of money yeah, just for the community to be to, to be uh, unhappy in another another way. You know? Yeah. Um, like I said, I. I, I... I don't know. From what I played from the original game, it's like I think the original version was the best, and then it just keeps getting worse as they keep patching it. But I, I, like, uh, like uh, from my understanding, like where the, where the original game left off, like in terms of like all the all the mechanics they added to the original game, like people were generally, you know, pretty pretty happy with like because you can spend more, you can use your super meter in more interesting different ways instead of just using it just for the super itself. Um, but then all the new mechanics that they replaced from the original into in versus rising. People don't fucking like. They're like, "What the fuck is this bullshit?" I think. Um, I think from one of the people that are really good at fighting games said that it's like. I think one of the things that you try to open up um, opponents, it's trying to like throw them, but they nerf throws to like completely useless territory. So okay, then do, 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 is, like, do you know? Do you know the purple throws from Blaze Blue Chow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. So that. it's basically that. That's basically, but that's a normal tech window. So basically, game. you have a very large time window to get out. Yes. Yeah. So basically, if you it, like, it's it's for those situations like, oh, man, uh, like like you know, in fighting games, and like you think you th- you tech the throw, but you didn't. Except in this game, like you actually tech the throw because even though even though you were like way late, you know. Like, like I, I think what, the problem in that's one of the men, that, what's that's one of the like you know handful of complaints that people had. There's yeah. other things. Like I think the problem like if you compare it to something like in Blaze Blue, the purple throw is that sometimes you trying to push buttons. And then it, thinking that you're trying to, you know, do something, and then you can't get out of the purple throw. So that's kind of like the annoying part about the purple throws in Blaze Blue. I'm I'm not sure that applies to in Grand Blue. If you like, let's still, like yeah, let's start let's start attack with like even if you just like have like you don't even have to, like even if you're just like half paying attention to like a th- like a, like someone grabbing you, you'll still tech out of it. Like it's just throwing her at the moment and versus rising from what I understand is like is a very very weak option. And and throws are like kind of like one of like the major pillars in like the rock paper scissors of like a fighting game, right? Yeah, it's like when your opponent is like super smart and you only have like few options. Like, yeah, it's like we can't use the throw. Yeah. 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 Uh, so like the whole tech is using the rising strike or whatever it was. The raging strike, yeah, raging yeah. strike seems to be a stupid mechanic. So we'll see what they do. You know, they have time to fucking uh, fix it up and hopefully yeah. it goes for the best. I mean, there's the fighting game, not the RPG once again. Um, it's a huge okay. hill to fight on. I mean, you have basically like the best fighting games coming out like this year. Like, yeah, I mean, there's before it. There's more combat in like September. 
it's like it's a huge hill to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you. Uh, this is one. Of, this is one of those like times and like fighting games. Like, like you really need to step your game up to like, um, like get get like get a crowd and like distinguish yourself as like being real really good. Like Street Fighter Six obviously made a huge impact. Everyone fucking loves it. I still play it like almost every day. Uh, just, even just like for like even an hour or so, just like kind of because I just I just like I love just play the game, the act of play the game. And just like it feels gratifying to me, and like uh, like in ways I can't even like express properly. You have, uh, and you then have... there's Under the Night uh, Reaper two, the actual sequel to that with Net- Rofar coming. Yeah, I don't know when that was. <laughs> so so yeah, so, so Kamone, like the the head of uh, French Bit, can no longer get sad at people uh, playing uh, implementing rollback in their own ways because there was a huge drama uh, way back when um, when people. Uh, Implemented rollback into Dengeki Bunko Fighting Climax Ignition uh, through emulator, and that's how people played on that game. Because that game used to be on PS3 and PS4, but had delay-based netcode, and and that and that game never got officially localized. Only its prequel, uh, Dengeki Bunko Fighting Climax, not Ignition, got officially localized. Uh, so Ignition didn't even come out in the uh, outside of Japan at all. And so how people were playing it was like they emulated it, and they and then some. People reverse engineered it to implement rollback into it, and that word reached Kamone. He got very sad over it. It's like, then how the fuck do you expect people to play it? This they're even playing. They're playing a game that's not even officially officially released in the West. You know, <laughs> you know, and and they're and and they're playing it in a way that like that they can play each with each other smoothly online, and you're getting sad over that. Like, of course, like, he's getting sad over that. Like, the pirate version's better than the official game. At I that know, point, it's like, no, it's like, but like, then you know, then make it make sense. You know, start like at least make it like you know, sell it in the West. You know, but, like I'll, I'll tell you this: I will pirate a game if I could play it better. I will do yeah, it. I, like, I, I get it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't hold anyone. You know, it's like I, if I, your I game runs at like twenty oh. FPS and then the pirate oh. runs at sixty FPS, I'll pirate yeah. it instead. You know, I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, that, like that's how you beat piracy. You provide something better. Than yeah, that option, it's like right? it's not. It's like I have the money. I'm willing to spend it if you give me the best product, version of the product, right? Yeah. So but, I mean, yeah. So like, so you know, yeah, getting besides the point. They, uh, yeah, they announced Undernight in Birth to Sis Celeste. Um, for uh, I think oh god was it PlayStation PC and I think Switch yeah Xbox never gets the win these these uh, indie fighting game titles yeah so uh, that's uh the announced that you know I'll have rollback in it it's gonna have you know you're, it it it's it's a new Undernight game and if you know what that means you know you know what to expect um it'll have, it'll have the grid system it'll have some new characters it'll have the whole existing roster from the uh, from the last release of it um. What's interesting about this one is like I guess this is gonna be going straight to consoles. I don't know if it's getting an arcade release. That's that that's where it's kinda of going these days where like these new fighting games are not just coming like out the arcades first and then coming to consoles, they're not coming straight to consoles. Like Tekken Tekken 8, for example, is being built for consoles. Uh it's not coming to arcade first like Tekken Tekken 7 was. I think that's a trend in Japan for for quite a long time. It's yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, kind of like rare to see. It, 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 I, it's not really a long time because you really saw like the downfall of arcades. It's already st- was on a steady decline, but like COVID really impacted the Japanese arcade market. You know, and I mean they do build like arcade versions like a couple years down the line. Like uh, was it Street Fighter Five had like an arcade version like pretty much in the last year of its yeah of yes. Its... I, I I I think straight I think Street Fighter Six has an arcade ver- uh, version, but it's not really that prevalent. But they did make an arcade version. 
And I believe Guilty Gear Strive does as well, but it's not as prevalent. It's basically like playing a, a PC version. You have a little USB port in case you want to bring your own joysticks or controllers too. If you don't yeah. like it. Yeah. But so, yeah. I mean, the, kind of thing now. Yeah, the only thing that's like, once again, still like keeping arcades afloat in Japan is really good, the mainstream versus. Um... Like, I think the thing with those arcade versions back then, it's like when you play a fighting game. A good thing about having arcade versions, like people get to test the game, and yeah. whatever is jank is gone in the console release. And that's what you're and, kind of you're kind of kind of doing that too now. But like, like kind of have console low tests, like Tekken Eight, for example. They're starting to like bring that around, like at Evo, and there are other, uh, you know, other uh, closed tests for Tekken Eight. You know, uh, like like the closed network test uh, recently. That's I think that's kind of their their response to like how they hold a low test uh to to uh games for consoles like they're gonna have like a just have like these betas essentially and that then they'll, they'll they'll start and you know Ram, like we we're talking about grand blue versus rising is doing that as well like instead of doing like a like an in live in-person log test they're doing like these online betas and then they'll also bring out like a build of the game like to like events like evo and like that i think i think grand blue rising was also uh at anime expo as well maybe um and yeah but it's kind of just like the changing of times, right? Like, log tests were super cool, but also, you know, there's, a, there's a, an alternative. a relic of the past, sorry. Riff. Yeah. Though, I, I do have a fondness for log tests. Those were fucking cool. Oh, um, yeah, but uh, I, I guess, well, okay, so getting back uh, to the main topic, some of the, the Scram Blue Summer Stream, there's not really much for outside of the mobile game, so what do you want to tell us about what they showed about the mobile game in this Summer Stream? The mobile game has... A ton of things updated, which is more like they actually have a roadmap plan. This is the first time Granblue actually has Wait, a fucking roadmap. This is, a, this is the first time they actually revealed a roadmap for that game. Like, yes, they have a roadmap revealed two years oh. down the line. Okay. But the saddest part is, it's like, you know how I said like the main story was was great, uh-huh. but they didn't update it frequently enough, and mm-hmm. I feel like it still suffers from that problem. Right? You literally wait, literally like back when COVID hit, you literally wait like an a year for four chapters, which can be read in like 30 minutes, and everyone's like, what the hell? It's like, we waited this long for more story, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing something about it, and and the same problem still continues, and in the roadmap, it basically says main story will be updated at the end of this winter, and next year at the end of the, at, at the end of summer. I'm like, damn, that story is never gonna be concluded at this rate, or you'll probably forget it by the time it comes out. I feel like, like when it comes to the main story, it comes out so slow to the point that people kind of forgot what happened. I asked a friend like that's very hardcore into it. Like even he stops caring about the main story, and then ask him, "Did he remember any details of the last story?" And he's like, "I don't, I don't recall. I, I might have to replay it." No, it's just like it, it just has gone to that point, right? Right, right. Yeah, but there's a roadmap and lots of new uh, raids and and things to existing uh, battles. Like a lot of quality of life fixes, like which kind of like feels that was ne- necessary <laughs> they're finally coming at the end of this month so if you're a big into like the mobile game this is like a saving grace people that play it a lot okay what are what give me like kind of like the cliff notes like what are these big quality of life things that like people have um there's some characters that have very odd skills where they don't take a turn and when you're trying to like auto combat those characters just don't use those zero turn skills or some certain characters like if you level them up the was it like the one turn skills become a zero turn skill and it fucks up their rotation 
you're doing like full auditing or or maybe some other mechanics too like this one character is he doesn't want to go past level 50 because if he goes past level 50 the skill takes zero turns and then he's not going to get his uh debuff refreshed or something like that because he needs to get hit in order to trigger the, the skill and and that skill is based on the cooldown of of your skill and it's hard to explain it, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, in general, it's like, you don't want him to be, like, past this level so that he can maintain it zero turns to keep, like, spamming up this debuff. Right? Okay. That's kind of, like, one of the things that they change for, like, a quality of life for, for that. Uh, the other way is a lot of the old raids are kind of dead now. They don't, people don't join them anymore. They just join, like, the hardcore raids. And so people see them as, like, a waste of time. And there's an instant button to skip all of that if... Like, uh, was it? There's something called Omega 2 or Magna 2, depending on who, what translation you use. Uh, the Japanese just calls it Magna. Uh, I think Magna is too hard of a word for English, so they just called it Omega in the English version. Okay. Uh, you could skip all the o- Omega 2 raids, uh, which is which is huge for people that, you know, if you're a new player, you know, you can just come in and you can kind of join into the mid game, right? And then there is. Was it like the summons? There's these like summons that you get, which is Grimnir. Grimnir is also a summon that you can get in the game. And I forgot what class they're called, but they're really strong summons. But for the longest time, they never had a full upgrade. And so they got power creep and they kind of become useless. Right? They were like super powerful at one point. Like there was a time where I think Nakamura spent like $3,000 just to get kind of like enough currency to buy it from the shop, if you get what I'm saying. I mean, I, I that's, that's not something I should get, but I mean, I kind of. It, it, it. It's like, uh, was it? It's like it reminds me of like the, the fake grand order system. It's like there's no pity for summons, but there is one ticket that lets you redeem anything if you have like accumulate enough, like, pity kind of things like gold moon. I, yeah, gold, yeah, yeah, we'll say yeah. yeah. It's 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 not it's not the same, but yes. Yeah, Gold Moon is a currency you get if you get, like, a duplicate SSR, right? And then it's like, oh, yeah, you could use this currency to shop for things, and it's... You better get a little bit. That's why people hate getting dupes in this game, right? Like, uh, the marketing has been very aggressive in this game recently. Uh, maybe there's, like, a decline on a lot of their, their IPs, like, uh... Was it like Musume is not doing as hot as its first year? Yeah, like all side games, like I feel like they're down. Like Musume is down. Princess Connect, I feel like is down too. Yeah, Um, uh, I think, I think the thing with Princess Connect is that you know, pity used to be three hundred in that game, right? And then they changed it to two hundred, and the community fucking loves it. But if you look at the revenue, it dropped by like fifty percent. So. I'm not sure if that system is ever going to get implemented in Grand Blue because Grand Blue really needs that, you know. But there's so many characters, uh, it's kind of like impossible to get what you want as an endgame player unless. Well, you... well, what is like the general mood on Grand Blue? Like, I feel like we talk about it year after year, right? Like, is it like steadily going down? Is it up? Is it like a roller coaster? It feels like a roller coaster. It's like every time they do something good, they do something stupid. But I feel like I don't know. It's like. I, I feel the biggest hurt is around 2021. I feel like that's the year that they lost a lot of the player base. It's like, they do a little silent approach and they don't do anything and everyone kind of like start to, you know, was like, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And they just say, ah, oh, just, just be patient. And it's kind of yeah, like, it, it's like, know. yeah, it, it's like, lo- it's like, because these, these mobile games have been long in the tooth right now. And I think it, it's one of those things, it's like, it's just like, 
it's inevitable you find this problem of like, okay, we've been going on for so long. What do we do from here on out? Like, I, I remember there's like a a Famitsu survey for Fate Grand Order that came out in the latest issue this past week, and uh, you know they're celebrating celebrating its eighth anniversary in Japan. And like you know, uh, usually for the anniversary events, Famitsu you know uh, does their survey on like you know the Japanese player base on like how do you feel about this game right now? Like, what, are the, what, what an interesting question that popped up is like, like what do you want like the development staff to do now that like um the latest story arc has been pretty much concluded right right, right now. There's this uh, story arc, Cosmos and the Lost Belt, that's pretty much kind of when its course. It's uh, the 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 final part of that arc. We uh, you know came out late, like either early uh, earlier this year or very late last year in Japan. And now they're like once again like in this intermission arc, where it's like it's not quite a full story arc. It's kind of like a transition over to the whatever the next thing is. Um, that's what it feels right like right now for that game, and like uh over like around like maybe 52 percent of like the there's uh people who responded to that uh survey said oh we want them to continue the main story to part three we want to see more of the main story but an interesting one is like 16 percent of the people who responded is like we just want this to end like end of service the game you know <laughs> and then like you know there's like other responses to it of like hey i just want like uh like make an fgo too but like make everything like transfer over or something or like a new uh. protagonist like I the, wish that was a thing for Grand Blue. I wish that was it. You know, the new story mm-hmm. arc has been dragging a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like okay, the entire premise of Grand Blue is, at the beginning is the main character trying to find uh, their father, right? And, and you know, every time you get to like the islands, like oh, your father was here twenty years ago or something. It's like yeah, he went to this next to some shit. It just keeps going on and on and on. And it's like he's never gonna meet the father <laughs> at this point, right? And you're like. Yeah, it's like just just to meet the father. It's like it's sometimes it doesn't need to be. Yeah, for, for all for all the faults that like uh, FGO has, like at least it's able to end things conclusively. Like the the end of the first arc, like you could end the game right there and still have like a conclusive, satisfying conclusion to like everything. Like because everything that happens after, like it's not literally super bolted on, but it's like it's the start of a new thing, like a hard start to a new thing. Like everything like, from the past, like they were able to like end on their own terms conclusively. Here to here are the next things that like they don't super drag themselves out and like and all the main story and like the main story arc that came after it like people generally really love it like as, as it's gone through it's like each each chapter of that story like people have been have really liked it you'll, you'll find like opinions usually split between like what their favorite arcs is uh in there as well so like i i it kind of really sucks for the grand blue fan base who like want this story to like go anywhere and find some sort of conclusion to, like it just it just feels like they keep getting dragged by the feet. Like I think the only the only story arc I ever hear, hear about Grand Blue is like what makes the sky blue. That's it. Uh that's an event story. It's not even a main yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. It is one of the best uh, events for sure. But um like the main story is okay, the main story, the beginning, the first arc has a very slow start. Uh it doesn't get people hyped until at least you get past the fourth island, and that's a very hard sell to somebody. It's like, you need to play at least six hours into the story before it gets good. And the anime ends before it gets good as well, so it's just like, okay. It's very hard to sell people on that. Uh, but when they made the second arc, the second arc was some hype-ass story. I, I, I fucking love the second arc. It has everything in there. It's like, um, very exciting battles, uh, like, like over-the-top villains, like, everything. It just keeps going on. And, and when it ended, you're like, oh my god, that was such a good story arc. And then for the first arc, it was like, 
what do they want to take the story from here? It, it, it's like all over the place. You could, like one of the part, it's like you infiltrate like the emperor, and in order to infiltrate the empire, you had to attend the school and pretend to be the students of his academy. But the school has some magical rules that you can't break, so your powers are useless here. And then there's that arc, and then next arc is like you're in like a bar party where these where people wear this mask and they have like a hive mind, and then it goes all their place. And now it's a time loop doing things. So everyone's like, "What is going on with the third arc?" You know, it's like uh, I don't know. It's yeah. like we're on focus. I would say. All right, well, is there anything else you want to report from this summer stream? Uh, uh, only if you're into, like, the mobile game. I mean, there's there's merchandise, too, if you guys care about merchandise. No, you can buy I, the... I don't. I don't. I care about the RPG that will theoretically release one day. Um, it's in some year. But, uh, yeah, if you're not into the mobile game, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of like sell you on what's here. Like, uh... There is going to be an Omega free raid at the next anniversary. Woo, finally! Thank you, Chow. Time for me to install because of the yeah, Omega free. Yeah, Omega free. That means <laughs> that you have to regrind your entire weapon grids again because now everyone's using a new set of weapons. I don't know. I don't know how they could like make things even more power crept than they already are. I don't are. know if you're really selling it to all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like... Uh, uh, yeah, new content, new stuff. I don't know how uh, where to take it from here because everybody I, I, fought like certain battles are impossible back in the day. There's no way in hell you could solo that. And somehow Power Creep made it, oh wait, you could just solo it by leaving the game on full auto now. You know? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's just like, what is it? Uh, stay tuned for uh, maybe something cool about Grand Blue in, I don't know, a month or two. I apparently. mean, you got near for the fighting game. She looks like Relius Clover with that uh, when she summons death all the time. Now uh, there's only one year I know. Well, technically two, I guess. But it ain't it ain't that. That's um, for sure. It's it's either a brother or a papa damn. variant. That's the only year I know. Damn, I prefer the brother. Sorry. Well, like, like there's no right answer to this, but there, there there's only the well any other near besides those two. I don't know, and I don't care. The next thing we have listed here is something that I hadn't seen before. It's called Reverse 1999, as in, like, I assume the year, but I'm not sure. So, mm -hmm. Josh, what is Reverse 1999? So I got this closed beta test that I can talk about for an upcoming um, mobile-slash-PC game called Reverse 1999. Uh, it has a pretty interesting premise and story presentation. I think the thing that really caught my eye about this game because I was uh, seeing like a, an early trailer like the video uh, initially released in China a few months back. Um, there was like a long lead up like marketing cycle for this game. And like one of the interesting things about this Chinese release, it has it has full English voice acting already incorporated into it, but not full English text. So like technically you can play like the Chinese version of the game and still understand it because everything is voiced in English in it, even though the text will read like, you know, in Chinese. Which is a very interesting thing. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen that out of a out of a game. Uh, and also, um, like it's a very it, it, I don't want to say it's like the Xenoblade um, approach, but it's a, it's very a very pomp English voice acting. Like it's very it's very British. You know what um, that reminds me of? It reminds me of like importing Kingdom Hearts Final Mix as a kid. Because those games are only dubbed in English only, because that's yeah. that's like their definitive edition or whatever in their mind. Yeah. And you could switch to Japanese dubbing 
but that's yeah. also a way to understand the game when it's all in Japanese. You right. The English dub, right. Yeah. So, uh, so I've been playing it for uh, like you know a day or two here. Like you know, so this uh, closed beta test is going to go on for like you know maybe a week or so, and then who knows till like the full release in the, uh, the full English release anyway. But um, the story premise is basically um, you play as this timekeeper uh, named Verton, and it's actually a, a protagonist named protagonist, their own personality. They're actually ca- actually a character in the story. They're not a silent protagonist. Um, there is a phenomenon uh, in the world called the storm, and in the year 1999, this this is when the storm first appeared, and it like it basically swept up and consumed a a time period, a, an era, and reverse time. Um, so when you when you start the story, you're actually like uh, uh, you get introduced to like this um, radio host in the in the mid 60s um, named Regulus. And um, as she's uh, doing her uh, radio hosting program, like an unknown organization starts attacking her, and she's ra- she's she's like, she's like radio hosting like from a boat. It's like a very peculiar like, um, um, sort of setting. And like I think they're like uh, I forgot exactly where they were. I think they're like somewhere in like in the European Isle, maybe London. I'm not sure. Um. And um, and and a storm is approaching uh, that time period in the uh, mid nineteen sixties. You are you are Burton, and you are uh, assisted by this um, character named uh, Sonetto, I believe, and she's part of like a like a, a more formal organization that like uh, recruits talented uh, people called Arcanists. And there and it's uh, to make the easiest comparison, it's like FF sixteen of people who have like magic and they've had the capability of doing magic, um, and. So you're on, so you're on the uh, you're like chasing after um, to recruit Re- Regulus and like trying to protect her from this um, organization that's ha- after her as well. You fend them off and you notice that like oh um, Regulus doesn't like re- has her own reservations about like joining this mysterious organization uh, and so forth. And you know you kind of get some uh, back and forth in between them as like you know you're trying to kind of chasing down um, Regulus who is kind of like uh warped into like another part of town because she was using this artifact to warp around eventually you get you catch up with her uh, out of Sonetto's eye and you're basically trying to tell uh regulus hey i'll uh, you don't have to join the organization right now i just want you to come with me to avoid the storm because i because i can tell that you see like these irregularities in this time period and you see that like you know like like raindrops are like falling in reverse uh so they're going back up and you and you like not no ordinary person can see like the effects of the storm incoming. So after after you're able to fool Sonetto into like, you know, not being able to find Regulus, you you find out that there's a pocket dimension that Verton uh, carries around her briefcase. So she basically stuffs Regulus and herself inside this suitcase right before the storm hits. Um and, and that and that time period gets consumed. And then this is kind of where you get your exposition when you when you enter like this hideout inside Verton's uh, suitcase, where it's kind of like a kind of like a like this space, like kind of like this. Uh, it almost looks like a fancy hotel hotel lobby almost. And you're telling her about like um, the environment that you've crafted here because it's like a lot of like um, you know like when you're like in an investigation, you have like all you have like this whole pinup board of like images and text and you have like you're drawing lines across them with like yarn and trying to link things together it's sort of like that and like paperwork everywhere you're t- you're telling regulus this is what's happening this is the storm 
uh, and who you are as the timekeeper, and you're like you're kind of you're kind of like a record keeper of sorts of like the beginning and end of eras, and like and and recruiting talented arcanists to like kind of like basically because she feels lonely from this as well, and like she she every every person that she's tried to like stuff into this suitcase, they eventually disappeared because of the effects of the storm. Like they, they like even though she made friends, they couldn't see the storm, and eventually the effects of the storm or what whatever time phenomenon we haven't really gone into it yet kind of makes them disappear and and like yeah this was the last time i was going to try it because uh regulus was like with the one person that she found that like can see the effects of the storm coming and like it seems to be successful so uh you're telling her about how this phenomenon first occurred in 1999 and then it brought her i don't know if, i don't know there's like a time between 1999 and another thing but then she eventually ended up in the mid-60s and then after this the first chapter of the game you get swept up in the 1929 uh chicago and then um like the the whole story chapter there is you're observing what is going on in chicago like there's this whole discrimination between humans and arcanus there so it's it's not unlike what you would see like ff60 in terms of like how the discrimination uh undertone and the theme the thematic messaging is um but it, like the aesthetics of it is very like um very like uh old english like lots of like of suits lots of top hats and uh it, it's trying to tell the story of like how there's like this antagonistic organization is also recruiting Ar- arcanists but they're for more nefarious deeds and so forth so you're kind of recounting like um the steps of like how the stock exchange in america was like opening up and how does how does that reflect in uh, to the times in terms of like how discrimination is being uh uh being dealt with in between like normal humans and arcanists and how does the economy of that world feed into that conflict um uh, so it's it, like it, it's hard to really describe without you seeing it but like the art style of this game the overall presentation is very very um captivating and done very well like i was really surprised by like how much i just kind of, i was kind of just, like just i soaked in the story and like i just that's kind of like my main motivation of like trying this game, and I'm really glad to like see that like the even like the early parts of the story. I'm not super not super far deep into it. Is like it's all very very interesting because it's kind of it's kind of mixing like time shenanigans with some of the supernatural, with some more shady under uh, dealings of like you know like underground dealings. Like you know the at some point uh, there are some characters that like f- find truth serum in an experiment and like. And and how that correlates to like uh to the background of a family between what like the early antagonists that uh, that you come across because like her own circumstances were pretty dire for her family and like why was her mother like you know what was she either what what was her family doing or what was her mother doing to like get, uh, make her give a better life for her children essentially because one of the early antagonists that you meet is like part of like I, I think like, a, like an orphanage of some sorts as well so it, it kind of has like a very very story heavy uh like undertone to it like in terms of like how why things happen it's very much like you have to pay attention to the story and i really like that like all the 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 time period um assets they kind of put into place like sometimes like if you want to get to like the next story node there'll be like other side things they have to uh in um engage with the environment so some of them could be just to be like uh newspapers and what they're talking about in the in the 1920s and like what were the popular topics around that time 
period in that in that place of the world. Um, one of these uh, um, mini activities you do before you go to the next story note is like like a, almost a miniature like choose your own adventure type of like story dealing where there's like a narrator telling you the story and you kind of choose the, the response that you want to uh you choose the response that you want to see like the next like part of the story on but it's flesh it but it but that that story that that choose your own adventure that it's telling is like part of the background of the antagonist's like family that it's like presenting to you which is a pretty interesting way to like kind of present that sort of like minor background details of like uh, to give more context of like what is exactly happening here um in terms of like character design, this game has some of the most character bizarre character designs um, I've ever seen. Like this says, this does have a gotcha system, which is you know unfortunate, but I get it. Um, but like the very first thing that like I pulled in this game was a straight up UFO, like just like a like a saucer, an alien saucer. Its name is Alien T, and it's just a fucking UFO. One of them is like a like a, a performer named Betty, and she has like a big cowboy hat with like a fake mustache. Um, one of them is uh, Poltergeist, and it's just basically like a a shy girl, like 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 a ghost overrobe, uh, like over her. Um, while another one is like a two star, like it's called Door, and it's just kind of like a shard, like it looks like a shard of glass. It's called Door. Um, it's uh, I I'll, I'll probably uh, but I do a write up on on this uh, closed beta and like what kind of summarizing you know what I've been talking about here and like how much. It's impressed me. I probably included gallery of like some of the character designs of this game because it is it is bizarre. Like these character designs. Like there's one character named TTT in all caps, and she's literally three CR like, like three old TVs stacked up against each other, but the, the different parts of her body. So the top TV is her head. The middle TV is her like her chest area with like what she's wearing, and then like. The bottom TV is like the the skirt and like the and like a little bit of her legs that like that shows on top of it. It's like, it's like to form like an image of her, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? I don't I don't understand. And there's there's another name character named John uh, Titor or Titor. Um, I I believe this is like referencing like you know like a a, a, a character in history that like had to had to do like something with time travel experiments. Um. But they they only speak in numbers and letters. That's all they say is numbers and letters. I don't. It's not even binary code. It's not just ones and zeros. It's like a random assortment of n- numbers and letters. And it's all voice acted. I'm like, I, that's all they fucking say. I'm like, I don't fucking understand. But it's so bizarre and weird. And like, there's something really captivating and cool about that. <laughs> in a, in a I'm sense. on the website right now, and it looks like I hope I'm understanding this right. There's a character that's just like a floating pair of gauntlets. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the one of the early characters that you meet that, that that's with Regulus is like a floating apple, a flo- a floating talking apple that wears a bow tie, and it's named Apple, but like almost all in caps except the letter E. That's the only one that's under like uh, uh, undercase. And like, why? I don't understand, but it's deliberate, and it's so fucking weird. <laughs> but it's really funny, and I was like, that any game that decides like you know what we should just go fucking all out with our character designs, I'm like. Just make them as weird and as bizarre as possible, and I was like, and it, it works. It, ca- it caught my eye. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so, um, yeah, and you know the the the, the battle system is like your standard turn based battle system. Like you know your your uh, enemies 
are at the left facing your characters at the right. You can have up to four characters, and it's kind of like a kind of like a, a card battle system where like uh, there there are cards, they're like buff cards, debuff cards, and attack cards depending on your character's like card layout. And like if there are two cards that uh, are by each other, let's say like a one star attack card that's at the exact same time as the other one star attack card by it, they merge together to make to enhance its effects, um, uh, and so forth. So like uh, that that part of the game is kind of like straightforward and simple. Uh, like uh, I wonder if there's more uh, mechanics to it, but right now it's like your kind of your standard turn-based kind of card battle system of like merging cards to enhance your effects. Then there's like ultimate effects, and obviously there's like this whole elemental weaknesses system that you play around as well for like to switch up your party compositions. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what I've been uh, looking into into besides Baldur's Gate three now. Uh, when I find the time, like probably in your when the close beta is almost over, I'll probably do a write up on it. Um, you know, and kind of give people like a kind of a look at like what the game's all about. It's just really pretty and really, really well presented. Like yeah, the art, uh, the art on the website is really nice. Yeah, and that just uh, that's just uh, something that's like throughout the whole game. Like, like the background art is vibrant and very. It's very atmospheric. Um, yeah, uh, so. I would suggest that, like, when the when the game comes out, you know, like, I would suggest, like, even if you're not into these types of games, like, kind of just like, look, like, look at the intro and like, kind of read, read the first few chapters and see, like, if that'll be up your alley. You know, it's I'm not gonna say it's gonna be like uh, an all timer, but it's it, it's really impressive for like a, just like a brand new IP to come out and like just really captivate me from the get go because of the just the, the strength of its characters and presentation and voice acting alone. Um, and that just, you know, I always come in the game for, to just come out swinging like that. It's like, oh, wow, there's something really, really cool that it's going for here. And I'm like, I, I, I dig it. I really dig it. Chow, did you want to talk about, we talked about this a little bit um, last week, the official release in English for the visual novel White Album and how you said, uh, I only really want to support this because I really want to get the sequel in English. But you've been playing, as far as I know, the uh, release of White Album. Are you still kind of as lukewarm on it as you thought, or like how are you? How's your time with it? The uh, um, so far, I haven't got to the interesting parts of the games yet. But um, if anybody recalled, this is this is the 2010 version, not the not the OG version that's released way back in the day. I feel like was it? There's people that are on Steam that are complaining for the wrong reason. It's like, where's the plus eighteen patch? It's like there is no plus eighteen content in this version. Okay, there never was, so you're never gonna get it because. But it's the censored version. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, people are always gonna be like that. People are stupid. They 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 they, they must have their porn no matter what. Even though you can get it fucking anywhere. Uh, you that. know what? Aqua Plus when they did. Uh, they when they had the etchy scenes for like Uta, Robbie Rumino, those are just a waste of time. It, it's better to have cut out, basically. I, I'll I'll vouch for that any day. Ah, uh, Chow, are you saying you're pro censorship? No, I'm not pro censorship. <laughs> so, like, so, okay, so t- tell me about this release. Like, the, like how, how are the PC options? How's the localization shaping up? Like, kind of this early yeah, impression. The localization is it's kind of hit or miss. There's some there's some weird. There's some odd dialogues that I, I come across too, which is kind of weird. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it in just a second. Uh, as for like controls, I'm actually using a PS1 controller on play. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, it, it has controller support for a visual novel, which is kind of kind of rare in my opinion, right? 
I feel. I mean, yeah. I mean with, with Steam input, it's getting more and more common because you're yeah, using so, Steam input. But yeah, I, I'm using a hacked PS1 controller that's wireless to play on 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 my PC because a mere experience. It it works. It's uh-huh. like all of, all 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 the buttons are there. Everything works. Uh, very handy. Uh, but the translation part is kind of like there's this one part where you meet uh, Rena's older brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she and her brother's having an argument, and she's basically calling her like Rina Chan, Rina Chan, right? And the translation didn't want to call her. They didn't want to use the was it the suffix, the Japanese suffix like um, Rina Chan. You know they want, yeah, well, the honorific. They didn't want to use that, and they and he keeps calling her doll for the chant in the translation, like, like Rina doll. Yeah, there's one part. It's like Rina doll, and the oh, next one's like I'm not your doll. You know, and that's what she said. Like, I'm not your doll, but you know, it's like, but you know, what she said in Japanese, like, it's like, oh, don't stop using Chan on me or something. You know? Yeah. That, oh, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know if I would. That, that that's always a, that's always a tricky thing with localization. Like, if you're very adamant about not using the the, the honorifics, then like, what you what you decide to substitute with it with for your localization is always could be weird. Yeah, it's always gonna be weird because because honorifics is like it's it's not something you can like elegantly like you know translate what? back into English. I, I say they should just keep the honorifics because it takes place in Japan. Yeah, I agree with that. Only in Japanese voices, so and that's your target audience too, right? Like, so just just keep it intact. I would say at that point, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like um like Atlas's like fucking thing with Persona of like them trying to like should we keep honorifics in our localizations of persona or not and like they've been kind of kind of itching away from that as time has gone on um, like maybe if they dubbed it it's like then yeah maybe you could drop the the honor fix and some translation gets kind of lost using that when you watch like certain animes like let's just say for uh a gundam for example uh gundam age there's one part where where was it uh desil referred to this i forgot the other guy and and basically, the, you know, in Japanese, it's like, Oni-chan. It's like, how's it going, Denzel Oni-chan, or something like that. So I know their relationship, they're brothers. But they never call each other brothers in the, in the fucking subtitle. Like, because the subtitle uh, dropped that, and it's called it on a first-name basis. So I, if I was watching the English, I didn't even know they were fucking related. So there's, there, I have two examples of this, like, translation thing. Sometimes you just have to write around it where it's, you're not necessarily substituting it, but you're kind of giving the same intent. Um, and sometimes it is more of a substitution. One that's pretty common, I think, is you'll have a character say something like, that's Mr. So-and-so to you, which in <laughs> Japanese is they're emphasizing the son. The son, yeah. Yeah. I think there was a part like that. <laughs> um, like, they, they call me son or sama or whatever. But um, I remember one game, it was actually a dungeon crawler from Experience, where your sister character, this, no context, is falling down a pit. And she reaches up with her hand and she says in Japanese, Onichan, like she's calling out to him. The translation to that is, help me. It's obviously not mm-hmm. the translation to Onichan, yeah. but that's the intent. Like right. she's asking for help. Um, like she's, she's calling for help. So, you know, if you're not going to use the honorific, you kind of have to write around it with that intent. And obviously that's very tricky. 
but... yeah and, and it's, it's it's always going to be like a like a like well, fighting uphill like trying to get people to understand like you know that localization is like about like getting the the, the meeting across not necessarily the line by line one by one across in, in that respect too because like japanese to english and even english to japanese it's just like it's just a fucking nightmare these these both of these languages are just like so inca- incompatible with like the, the like even like but even when you're trying to strip away just like the text, like the like the culture behind them, you know they they are like languages a... crafted because of like the, the of the culture that like that raised them. I don't know. From my experience with Japanese, it's like a very bare bones language. You have to fill in the blanks. It'll be like yeah, they don't context. explain it's anything. Very, it's very context driven. Yeah. yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's the, the onus is up to like it's not it's not up like to people interpreting the text. It's not, it's up to the people can that can read the situation, which will yeah. get the meaning across. You know, yeah, yeah, they keep going, and it's just like it's like okay, basically, when someone say dokel as in like where, but that could ask like in so many contexts, and it's like yeah. what what is using that dokel for? Like where are you? Where you know? Where am I? You know? Yeah, so it could be anything, right? So you have to exactly. like read the context to get the proper translation, and that's why it's like the translation is never like word for word or you know accurate to be yeah. to be exact, right? Yeah, and, that's, like, that's why there's like a lot of like you know. Sometimes, like in, in like for games, for example, like like what what the text box that you're seeing is not necessarily what they're saying at that time because you know because of the context around it. You can't you can't just like very where you decide to like place that text in English can vary up what you're what you what you mean. You know, like if you say something earlier than what you mean, it'll have a very very different meaning than what we what you could say that thing later. And depending on what you said before, it can have a very different meaning. You know, yeah, so, it's, but, uh, it's tricky. But yeah, I wish there was options to 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 mod Autofix back. But uh, the only model that's in in the community right now is uh, you know the text box when everyone all the characters are talking. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a hack to get rid of the white album text that's pasted on the text box that's kind of transparent. That's the only hack that's available. It's like that's, hmm, that's why weird. would like, like watermark? Yeah, like a watermark of like. My album in the text box, right? That's you know? so weird. Why would he? It's like some people want to get rid of that. I'm like, well, oh, okay. Is it distracting? Is it distracting? Like the, the that that distracting, but there is a mod to get rid of that, I guess, in the Steam community. I guess people didn't like that. And the game's well, not dubbed, you... right? The game's not dubbed. So it's, to, me, uh... to me, like if I hear, even if I don't understand Japanese, if I hear them saying Sensei or Chan or whatever, but then the text doesn't capture that, uh, I would get distracted. Yeah, you probably would like that. Yeah, like I first thing in the nose is like that Rena doll. What the hell is he talking about? Oh, he's saying Rena Shana. It's like, oh god. Like I don't know if this is the best example, but I guess in the original dub, or not dub, subtitles of like Yakuza Three, they replaced all the Anaki with brother. But then in yeah. the, when they redubbed it, they just kept it Anaki, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, because it matched the um, what was actually being spoken, so I wasn't pulled out of the moment. And even if you don't know Japanese, you pretty much get the meaning really quickly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, and like, yeah, even in the context of that, like him saying "brother" there, like you know, it's like it makes sense, you know. Mm. It so. would make sense in that context. Uh, but yeah, like that—that's about like what the translation is. Like, I like without the honor fix, I, I feel the translation is okay. I mean, certain dialogue, it's like I feel like the characters might not capture the tone perfectly. But you know, does this I, make you worried for if they ever decide to do White Album too? Um, not totally worried, but I feel like if they do too, I I hope they put the honor fix back. At least that's 
That's my expectation, at least. That's a, that's a big expectation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or, or some hacker can, can mod it back. I mean, they always bitch about no 18 content. Well, how about you do a mod to, to patch this back in? Uh, yeah, are there like ongoing efforts in the community that you can see to like kind of like well, what sort of like what sort of things in the community are they like are they planning to do to mod it? I'm not sure. If, uh, I haven't checked that part that far in, but that was the only hack I found back when I checked it yesterday. But hey, you know the game only came out like yesterday, was it, or is it two days ago? Yeah, two, two days, days ago. ago. Yeah, just give it time. You know. Give it time. Uh, so, will come you know, so you have like the, the graphical mods, you know. Yeah, but anyways, uh, let, let's let's dive more into the game itself. So, uh, so it's, this is the remake version, right? Um, so it doesn't have like the still background portraits for the characters anymore. They've all been like redesigned, and it's kind of like an early, was it? It's like an early live two D kind of kind of appearance for the characters. If you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike, you know, they're yeah, moving, not, but they're yeah. not. Like sometimes it's kind of janked. It's, it's it's like it's like puppet almost. Yeah, like, like uh, a puppet kind of movement, and then uh, their lip flaps will always move when they talk. But sometimes it's like <laughs> when they have like that pose, they kind of <laughs> in a weird, you know, talking yeah. animation. Like it, it's okay. Like it looks good. It's just like sometimes it's just like some frames don't don't. You just have to. You just have to understand that like the, this was not this is not like a modern development. Game. Yeah, it's, not it's, a it's, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty old. The grand scheme yeah. of things. Uh, but let's see. What 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 is there to compare it from? Like, I think the best comparison to this game is the other game from Aqua Plus, which is Two Heart Two. If you ever played that visual novel, it's like a rom com from them. It's like one of the more popular series. Uh rom. Was it Two Heart Two? System is like there's like a schedule system, and how this game goes is that. Uh, we need probably the story first. Basically, the main character has a lot of jobs, and basically, he and his girlfriend, uh, his girlfriend, got into the idol business, and now she's like super popular, and she can't really spend much time with him. And then, uh, as the game progresses, he needs to like find like several jobs to uh, while maintaining his college life. And then, and now the game kind of opens up with the schedule system, and you basically had to like talk to characters. Uh, to get them open up, and if you have this knowledge, you can talk to this topic with the other characters, and that's kind of like how the gameplay goes. Uh, basically, if you don't know about this person, you can't really bring up like that topic to the other person to unlock that person's route. Kind of like that's how the whole gameplay system is. Trying to explain the first white album. Uh, Josh, do, did you remember playing the first one too much, or not really? Not really. I mean, I, like, uh, like I, I never really play. I, I maybe a tiny bit of White Album one, but like I, I saw the anime. Uh, yeah, the anime is kind of like the same idea, but I yeah. think the anime is a little bit more focused. So I feel like if the anime dragged out, it would be a little harder to get your attention here. But I feel like in a video game format, I think it works out a little bit better because you're not driven to boredom like the main character is. Like in the anime, you can kind of pick where you want to go, right? Yeah, so, I mean, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 anime was unhinged in like multiple ways, but one of the things that that comes across is like that this dude just does a lot. He, he's kind of, he's kind of a dumbass too. Like that, that that's yeah, the one he, thing I remember. He is a dumbass. That, that's yeah. kind of the one thing I remember from Vital Album One is like the the main character that you play is just like he's just oh man, he's kind of insufferable. <laughs> but uh, I I feel like that's a problem with like all the White Album games. It's just like uh, your first option isn't always the best. 
So always go for the affair, guys. Always go have a fair. Hey. Okay. I... <laughs> but, like, okay. but like, but like, but the, but the story of White Album One is very, very straightforward. Like that's kind of like its main gimmick. Is like it, hey... it's very straightforward. It's just like it starts out with yeah, his girlfriend is like you know she got into the idol business. Now she's super popular. Doesn't have time to spend with him. And then now he's trying to like find what he should do, and and you kind of like trying to like interact. I think I think what really comes into the picture that makes it that shakes things up is, uh, was it there's a very popular idol named Brina, and and was it the main character's girlfriend is working with her, and when she comes in the picture, like this whole dynamic between between the main characters has completely shifted when she comes into the picture, right? And that's kind of like the same thing in the sequel too. The main characters dating this girl, and then was it they recruited a, a third member, which is a prodigy in the music business, and when she comes into the picture, their whole dynamic changes, and how you see these characters interact, it's kind of like, huh, it's like maybe maybe I don't know them too well, or maybe this is kind of like that stuff, and I, I feel like the thing that makes the White Album series really good is that it doesn't focus on your it doesn't try to dwell too much on high school romance. It, it's a more kind of mature kind of romance if you think about it. Like a lot, of, a lot of romance don't really focus on like, you know, breakups, and then when you recon- rekindle that relationship and how how that would work out. You know, maybe you know it's it's a problem to keep going, and you, and but you still chose to rekindle it anyways. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of them is more about the pursuit of it, not necessarily like the the, the fallout of it. Yeah. So it's like. Uh, and you know, a lot of games don't really focus on that, right? You know, everyone likes to you know talk about romance stories, like, hey, they end up together, everything's all happy ever ever after, right? You know, mm-hmm. romance usually don't really always work out that way, right? You know, right. there's a lot of hardships to go through, right? But anyway, so that's that's my take on White Album. It's I, I feel the port is great. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not sure like how much of enhancement that they did to it, but it, it feels great in my end, except for some translation. Awkwardness that, that I see so far from what I get from the beginning of the game, but uh, you know I, I'm buying this so I can get the second one in English in in some official capacity. So okay, you went above it a bit. Yeah, you actually booted the game instead of just like buying to get white album too. You you went above and beyond by uh, double clicking the executable and being like, "Yep, this is the real this is a real product." You know, maybe I could get too hard too as well. That's the that's Aquapus's uh, famous uh, rom com. You know, has a lot of famous VAs in in that game, and so is this game. This game, okay. So I think because two has some, I'm not I'm not trying to, I can't remember. Does two has some edgy scenes? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember they have some edgy scenes. So I think like in the second one, the voice actors are like not as like top A list compared to the first remake because they got rid of the etchy scenes and now they have like nothing but like top tier VAs. I mean this is like the A-list at the time, right? I mean you get uh was it Nanamisuki, uh Romy Park, uh Aya Hirano, was it uh, Aruka Tomats. Like the A-list is all in this game. While the well right album two doesn't have like the A-list. I mean the main girl in that one's voiced by the what is it? Do you remember the teacher from Persona 3? The sub, I mean, not Persona 3, the Persona 4? The replacement teacher that comes in after King Moron dies? Uh, vaguely. Miss Kua something Kua. 
Yeah, I don't know if anyone else remembers. <laughs> I, I don't remember her name, but she she replaced King Moron, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, that teacher is a is a menace." You know? But yeah, they don't have like the is, isn't like, that Persona Four? Yeah, I'm Persona Four. Yeah, okay. Like that. I vaguely remember but, this character. She's, she's sort of like really lazy and sort of maybe a drunk. I don't yeah, know. she was. I think I think she was in Persona Three in the Operation Bay Punt part, like later on in. And Porable did confirm that she was there as one of the targets that the boys can hit on. But, yeah. Uh, so, well, yeah. Now, when uh, when White Album 2 is announced, we can say thank you, Chow, for your investment. Yeah, thank you, Chow. Yeah. I buy you guys all a copy to say you guys supported <laughs> it, too. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I'll, I'll eventually pick it up. Not right now, because I'm playing yeah, other same. games. But I'll eventually pick it up. And with that, Two hours in, we'll go into the news section of this podcast. Now, the news section here is pretty light. Uh, a few headlines. Uh, the main event that we have a couple things to talk about was the China Joy 2023 event where Sony had a presence with their China Hero project. Uh, we have one game that we uh, have been looking at, at least keeping an eye on for the last several years, and then one new announcement there that we'll talk about um, and keep an eye on from this point going forward. But before we go into that, we're going to talk about uh, a game that we've talked about previously on this podcast uh, in a lot of different contexts, but probably not in the last year or so. And that is Fantasian. So anyone that's been following this site for a long time kind of knows that speaking generally, painting with a wide brush, a lot of us here thought pretty highly of Fantasian. We gave it our RPG of the year for 2021. Uh, however, that was with kind of this caveat that it was an Apple Arcade subscription exclusive. As of right now, that is still the case. Nothing has been announced. However, we've had uh, some com uh, conversations, some comments from Sakaguchi uh, previously about how he would like to develop a PC port for Fantasian. And kind of following up on that stated desire, Fantasian did show up on Steam database as a Fantasian playtest. So not an official announcement of any, you know, in any means, but potentially an indication that Fantasian is on its way to Steam in the near future. So, how do we feel about I, this? We've all well, kind of already played it. So, for us... I, I can play it without oh, buying Apple it. Arcade. Okay, well, one, this is really cool. Two, the the banner image on the Steam DB looks like a shitpost, which is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Because it's literally just the Fantasian, like, logo... With like the App Store and the Google Play Store like banners underneath it, but they're both crossed out. Like, but you can clearly see them there. They're just like it's like someone like scribbled like a cross out "Do not enter" fucking thing over them. So it looks like a shit post, but it's real. You know, it's it's a real DB entry. I was. Well, I'll be honest. The main reason why I haven't really said anything about this whole thing is that. Anyone can make a Steam deep and like Steam database entry. Anyone can say that the app is a specific thing. And based off that image being like you described, looking like yeah. a shit post, I mean, Sakaguchi has said, oh, we might make a PC version, so it might happen. But I am not convinced that this is actually real yet. Yeah, yeah, I need to, I need a more official like announcement of like this is actually real because it's like it's like yes this db entry like it does exist it's just like but it looks so 
<laughs> borderline fake. That's like I don't know what to think. Like they definitely like have like a, they have like the, like, the, like the library image too. That's like a taller picture as well in it. But it is like okay, like it's cool if this is happening. I am all for it happening. I really hope this is real. <laughs> I can't all. wait for people to play the PC version of this game, and it's not at all what they expect this game to be. So yeah, everybody here has finished it except for me. Is that how it goes for this game? Yeah, I finished it. Yeah. Damn, I feel left out here. But am I left out here just because I didn't want to pay for Apple Arcade? No, you're smart. I mean, look, if this comes out on PC, then you're automatically smart because you didn't pay hundreds of dollars for an Apple TV that that multiple people on staff here did, which we paid hundreds of dollars for an Apple TV to play this game. Like, if this comes out on PC, you're automatically the smartest person, uh, one of the smartest people on staff. If it doesn't, then maybe you're left out. I mean, yeah. Chow already already kind of was there, considering he does he doesn't use Twitter. Yeah, that's true. Actually, fuck or X or whatever that is. Yeah, oh, yeah. X bad, X bad. No, wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, fuck, you made so many good decisions in your life. <laughs> I'm jealous. But yeah, I mean, cool that this is real. I guess that's all you can really say about it, right? It's like that's cool that this is potentially maybe a thing. No, we'll keep an eye on it, and we, I am kind of curious, like how Adam and like suggested that, you know, we we all talk about how this game is, you know, we all thought really highly of it, but kind of in a specific context where it's sort of an honest, acquired taste. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, I, I think I, I think even James's review, his basic premise thesis is, I love this game, but I only recommend it to a small subset of people. Yeah, I think yeah, I think a lot of people will get yeah. caught off guard. Like they'll, they'll they'll hear like the buzz about it, or like, hey, it's from uh, a new Mistwalker or Sakaguchi. But I think they'll get caught off guard by like what kind of game it is. I I think they won't even really know until like. 20 hours into it, what they're really signing yeah, up Yeah, once they hit that second part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember, like, uh, seeing comments on my reviews saying, this doesn't sound like a 9, and it's like, no, I mean, I really do do enjoy it that much that I'd give it a 9, but it's also one of those things where it's, if if you're looking for a classic Final Fantasy game, there's some of that here, but it's also very much uh, the hardest RPG I played that year. <laughs> no sugarcoating it. Yeah. Might still I'm be. It'll be fine. I might still that that like if I remember like I'm thinking like have I played an RPG as hard as that since then? I'm like I don't think so. <laughs> is I'm it harder than Seven Saga? Saga is not hard. No, Seven Saga. That's not oh, Seven that's Saga. Oh, not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, that's a game that that nobody remembers. It is sort of game where of course it's uh, turn based. Where once you know like the strategy to beating a boss, you always feel like you win when you only have like two turns of slack left before things fall yeah. apart. Yeah, that's how it feels. Like, and you implement a strategy and you win by the skin of your teeth, and that's every single boss fight in the second half. <laughs> if you don't even implement the strategy, you will just get curb stomped, and you can't grind because it has that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was sort of being facetious, but this is not the sort of game because the, the sort of I, I don't remember specifically, but it. You, your levels are kind of capped in a way where your exp like gain goes down a lot like it doesn't really let you grind and just overpower by grinding so you have to do the strategy no that reminds me of doing like this mode in grand blue called pride of descendants where you fight like these super end game bosses as like a challenge and you're given like this cap so you can't really cheese your way through with with money and whaling i guess so it's like you're you're stuck with these limits 
which sounds kind of like my kind of thing because that's the kind of challenge I like to do. Okay, I have a question for that. Is it is it actually like a predefined party that they give you for it? No, you still have to get the party, but they have like they give you like certain limits. Like this one boss, it's like you can only use nine skills. Okay, and... but you but you start to roll the characters. Yeah, for sadly, that. and people okay. trying to think like free to play solutions to get through it, and the non free to play solutions to get through it. But it, it's a mode that I like, even though people kind of hate those kind of challenge modes. Even Epic Seven has certain things like that too. But they got rid of it because people bitch about it being way too hard, and and now they don't even add that. I mean, that, 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 that's that's an ongoing thing with like not even just mobile games, which is like people in general like like when they see like a, when they when they see a game that's like intrinsically inherently like challenge is part of its design, like a lot of people just like kind of bounce off. It's like, oh fuck no, dude, I don't I don't play games to get challenged. Like one of the bosses, like in that Grand Blue example, is like, okay, imagine this. This boss will kill someone guaranteed, and it will always target the person with the highest health. And usually in most RPGs, your main character is always the strongest person with the highest stats, right? You know? And then, so your main character is always going to die. So you try to, like, manipulate the boss to kill someone else instead of your main character, because your main character uh, is your most useful character, so you can't let the main character die. So you're, like, trying to and to adjust your heals to make sure that someone has a little bit more HP than main character so that the boss will one-shot them instead. And then you're trying to manipulate a system like that. And then there's something like, like that, you know. I'm not sure if they would do something like that in Fantasia. It's like, oh, trying to trick this boss into killing someone else first so that you can use the strongest member alive to kill it. It's, it's not really like that in Fantasia. It's not, it's not, it's not like a lot of like like pre-programmed, like, oh, but like like death conditions. But there's uh, there's a lot of like tricky situations in Fantasian where you have to actually like actively like pay attention to like the state of the boss physically in a physical space and what it's actually doing uh like it, a boss can be in different states during a fight but you have to observe it with your eyes mm, let's say I see. oh yeah so, there is actually I, I a boss like that in Grand Blue too I, I, uh, if you, I remember when you get to the post or the like the second half of Fantasian. The most useful character is Ez, like the Wiz Kid, because he's yep. the one with your buffs. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was like saying, there's a boss similar to that, like in Grand Blue. We had to pay attention to its state, even though it's in the mobile game. But you, you look at this boss; he has three faces. It's sad, angry, or happy, and based on the face it does, it's like it gets a buff on what it does. If it's angry, it gets an attack buff. If it's sad, it gets it gives a debuff to your characters, and you're trying to change the face of the statue by using a summon. Every time you use a summon, it, it forces the statue to rotate to a different face, and it gives it a different buff. I yeah, guess that's yeah, a way to pay yeah. attention. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I guess this sounds like the same. I, I think this game is definitely up my alley with the way you describe it. Is there, yeah. like, things that you hope to see in a PC port? Like, any enhancements, or just leave the game as, as it is? It's perfect. Or something. I don't know. I mean, just just graphical options, performance options, kind of like, the, uh, like uh, I played I this really, on a, I played this on an Apple 4K TV, which yeah. I think was new at the time, and it's still like it chugged at times. It's like, well, oh, this, this, I yeah, think it, it, it did not perform very well. So I don't know if you ran into it, but I remember when I played through it that I actually had a lot of crashes on the Apple TV version. Like uh, for uh, it crashed like. Five or six times. It was like really surprising. 
And so yeah, it was one of those uh, weird things also because there's like a, a, a new a, a new Apple TV and an old Apple TV, and it, uh, was it one of those things where like it was more unstable on the new Apple TV or something? I don't know. I like I I've only ever had the one Apple TV, so I wouldn't be able to say. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what that because there's like a certain versions of Apple TV where like it was unstable. Like for me, like it ran pretty stably. Like it, it like the performance wasn't like really amazing or anything. It, it ran smoothly enough, but not ideal obviously but it was i i'm trying to remember that it was one of those weird that weird ass things of like compatibility and shit like i played it on an iphone which is probably more powerful than the apple tv yeah, <laughs> Actually yeah. True. i didn't have any crashes <laughs> <laughs> it's like works on my machine <laughs> my machine is an iphone playing it bed. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I use my mobile phone to play gotcha games. So. But yes, more people should play Fantasia and they should find a way to fucking make more people play Fantasia. That's the, that's the, <laughs> that's the main message. <laughs> so going over into the two announcements from China Joy 2023, we did once again get another look at a game that's been on our list for a long time. I don't know how high up on the list, but on the list, and that is Lost Soul Aside. So... This is the game that was announced back in like what 2016 or so? 2017? Earlier than that. Really? It must have been 2014. Oh, really? Okay. Our our earliest news post looks like it's from 2017, but it probably existed before we covered it. Just like in yeah. um, it's an early because back when it was like a one or two person project, right? Yeah. Uh this is the game that has a protagonist and even just like a general art and combat style that is very evocative of Final Fantasy 15, or you could potentially say Final Fantasy thir- versus 13. Uh, so it's been in development a long while. It's had multiple periods of like going dormant and coming back. It did get both a trailer and kind of like a half hour gameplay presentation at China Joy 2023. Um, the trailer is not that good, in my opinion. It's about yeah. 90 seconds long. And like the last half of the trailer is just kind of like the death animation of like this giant watery gin boss. It shows this the main character. I forget he, if he has a name or not. Um, defeating this like gin of some sort and then the boss dying in a final animation and that's like 40 seconds of the trailer is the boss dying and that's it but i say that with the there's of course like 30 minutes of actual gameplay footage as well so how good or bad the trailer is might not actually matter so uh still no information at all for like release window or anything other than it's still listed for playstation 5 and pc simultaneously or otherwise i don't think we quite know it's being published i by think Sony. maybe it's i don't remember if this is re- revealed now or last year but it's no longer coming to ps4 like it oh it's right. been in development oh, for yeah so long PS5 it was. PC now. So, the ps5 yeah. exclusive well it's also coming to pc but um yeah. it's uh all right i have a question what comes okay. out first lost solo side or relink i put my money on relink, re-link. Hey. Not even All a question right. at this point. Not even. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I've never okay, know. You never know. It. it has to be real. <laughs> I've heard one or the other th- theoretically might be playable, but we There's don't know. A bunch of, uh, this is sort of the feeling that I got, and on Twitter, uh, replies to our tweet seems to be similar in that these China Joy or like China Hero Project games, a lot of them just take a while and 
you know, more cynically, some of the comments we get on Twitter are like, all these games are vaporware. Like, none of them actually exist. Because there, there were games like AI Limit, which I know was like a near Automata lookalike, and a few others. And it just feels like none of them ever release. So Lost Soul Aside is kind of in that bucket, where it's just like, there's a lot of these Chinese-developed action RPGs revealed at these events, and I'm trying to think of if any of them have actually come out yet. I think um, there was one. That the was, Anno uh, Mutation M. Yeah. yeah, that was one. And then there was one with the... Uh, it was a side scroller one. I'm trying to remember what it was called. What was that? Roblox? Was, was Hardcore Mecha one of the China Joy or the China Hero projects? I don't know. I don't have a list in front of me. We used to have a list. I remember like James showed me like this. Um, was it this Kickstarter funded like roguelike that that has a Chinese development studio? I'm not sure. Yeah, but that, that, that's not. Uh, but that we're talking about like titles specifically under the China Hero project, like mm. uh, under under Sony's uh, prerogative, uh, not prerogative. Um, um, they're they're oh, initiative. Okay, yeah, initiative. Uh, okay, I'm doing the wrong thing then. Yeah, so we have oh, Fist, uh, Forge and Shadow Torch. Oh, that, that was what uh, I was thinking of. Fist. Yeah, yeah, Hardcore Mecha was also part of it. So. Um, trying to think what else. I think those are the only ones that came out of the, that are out there. The, those three, I know Mutation M, Fist, and Hardcore Mecha. I'm, I'm looking at the other ones, and I don't, I don't seem to. Well, on, 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 I guess Boundary came out last year. I don't remember what Boundary was. Apparently, that came out. Um, and yeah, so I mean, a good chunk of these titles have come out. I mean, it, it's just you know depends on the scope and the and the development team. You know, like. I, th- I wouldn't really call this like vaporware. It's just like they 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 do show us like updated builds of the game, that that clearly someone is playing them. It's just... I think I think it's literally just like we have a tiny development team, so it's gonna take yeah. a while. Yeah, and depending on like what what kind of scope they're going for as well, but the it's going, so it'll probably release before I die. <laughs> I don't know. Technically, that's a hope. <laughs> that's hope. <laughs> Well, then we could kind of use that kind of conversation, that through line for the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, this is a new game that was announced at China Joy 2023. Well, at least it was formally announced. I don't know if it existed like on the in the like developers like internal or I'm not exactly sure exactly if this is just kind of like, hey, now we're partnering with Sony at this point or if this game was known within the Chinese video game space before before then. But this RPG, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, is called Daba Land of Water Scar. Daba is D-A-B-A. So Daba Land of Water Scar. Um, so this also had like a uh, two-minute trailer and then like a gameplay presentation at China Joy 2023. And without any hesitation, I can say this is a Souls-like. Like it very, very clearly yeah. looks like it's borrowed from so many other games in a very similar uh, movement feel, art style, uh, even some of the UI that they show in the gameplay footage, etc. So... Uh, it has kind of a feel of like the Wolong style of like the martial arts sort of flow. Yeah, to it. Very, yeah. That's, Ra- that's rather a, than like the gothic fantasy yeah. um, Tolkien esque Dark Souls or, or Demon Souls esque. Uh, it looks interesting enough. No announced. Uh, it's being obviously uh, published by Sony under the China Hero Project. Um, so it's announced for PS5, but no window at all. And based on the precedent of other titles that of similar nature that we've seen likely going to be cooking for a while so we'll kind of yeah, keep this seems, on the 
This is developed by Darkstar, and they've previously worked on uh, Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption. That's one of those um, things I've heard of, but if you ask me to describe it, I'm like, I don't know. I just yeah. heard the, the title yeah. rings a bell. So that, that came out several years ago. That's those are new. At least you know, it, I guess comparing this, like the the uh, Lost Soul aside is being developed by Alta Zero Games, and that's sort of like their first game, like a debut project. Yeah, small team. Or this game, this one at least is like okay, this is not a debut project. This developer has at least released one game before, so it's kind of a little bit of a different context there. I remember the Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption. If I remember right, this was one of the ones that was like exclusive to the I hope I get this right. It was exclusive to the Discord store for a bit for like the short time oh. that, that, that 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 existed. Amazing. Maybe it was I, I I can't confirm now whether it was exclusive to the Discord store, but it did launch on the Discord store. So for for like the four months of that, that existed. Huge. Rest in peace, Discord store. Always that also, that also reminds me, going back to our, obviously, Baldur's Gate 3 conversation, like, uh, Larian was hyped to get that onto Stadia. Like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they they did release it on Stadia yep. <laughs> for early access. Oh, oh shit. I mean, the concept was smart. Like, hey, you get some friends. You don't need to download it. Just have, if you have your Stadia subscription, just log in and go. But eh, it wasn't meant to be. It also makes more sense considering the game already has like Vulcan support on PC. So it probably wasn't that hard of a port. So. Mm -hmm. Didn't a couple like Sega games like, oh, yeah, like Valkyria Chronicles showed up on Stadia for a while. Yeah. Uh, well, the judgment. I wonder if Meredith's cashing in. Yeah, because Judgment for a while was not on PC, but it was on Stadia. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh my god. Oh, uh, you know, I'm glad we had our, our Stadia memorial service. Uh, but it lives on in the in the in, in our hearts here at the Tetracast. Do you guys still have the controllers? I never, never had, had it. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, Charles, like, yo, you still got that Stadia controller? Can I borrow it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> That <laughs> was a controller head. Can't help it. Look, I have six Sega Saturn controllers. Okay, that just tells you. I'll look. I'll, I'll trade you one of them for a Stadia controller. I really need one. No way, man. I paid some guy in Germany like three hundred dollars to custom made me a wireless back in the day. There's no way I'm giving that up. So we'll go into some of the last bits of smaller news before we close out. Uh, we have a handful of gameplay trailers. Um, that were detailed over the last week in addition to those two from china joy uh we got another trailer for the upcoming fate samurai remnant now i haven't been following this as closely as um josh has but it seems like there's been a lot of different news like we covered this game last week with, with a few interview snippets and some information out of that uh magazine that we talked about that was for the fate series that's released periodically but here is an actually uh, uploaded second trailer for the game. It uh, looks like some more information also came out of FGO Fest. So I haven't been like synthesizing all this together other than the headline that I bring to mind is that apparently if you're like a completionist, this game has like over 100 hours of content in it. So I don't know yeah, if that's typical that. for, for type moon type yeah. titles or not or... Uh, I don't know exactly like you know that's like you know it's usually the usual like hey developers will throw out a number uh, usually inflated for the completion time but the, they're saying there's gonna be a lengthy game and like an average playthrough is like maybe forty to fifty hours 
which is longer than I thought it'd be. And then they're saying if you want to be a completionist, obviously it'll go way above that. So I, I don't know exactly what I don't know what 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 they mean by that. That that is from everything they've shown. I, I thought it'd be more like a twenty five to thirty hour experience, but that's just me. I have no idea where <laughs> how big this game is. Obviously, um, yeah. I mean, we we talked about you know Kakulin and Tomamo Arya showing up as like neutral rogue servants in the game. There's more following up, like, hey, they released a little bit more info because they... That's that that's they showed at the Fate Samurai Remnant uh, stage event at FGO Fest, but then at the main FGO Fest 8 anniversary event, they also had a brief Fate, Fate uh, Samurai Remnant um, showcase, like, with a new trailer. Uh, that trailer showed off um, more of these rogue servants. Like, we have a, a, an unnamed, unidentified rogue saber that's, like, in white samurai ar- armor. It almost looks like an Oni mask over it. It has a really cool design. Um, they showed off Rogue Archer, and people who've played uh, uh, like Fate Grand Order uh, know that that's Arjuna um, uh, from that game. Uh, really, really cool servant uh, to have show up uh, in this game. V- uh, definitely a fan favorite. So I'm sure a lot of people want Karna in the game as well if Arjuna's showing up, because uh, the, these, two, these two guys are very, very popular in the Fate uh, fandom. They showed off... Um, Another uh, character, Rogue Berserker. Um, I'm not exactly sure. It's unidentified. Very muscular dude with like neon green hair. Uh, has a pretty peculiar design. They shut off silhouettes for um, Rogue Caster and Rogue Assassin in this game. And based on their silhouettes, people who play Fate Grand Order, um, it's very heavily implied based on their silhouettes and the way they're posing. Uh, Rogue Caster may be Cersei. Uh, from there, and then Rogue Assassin may be uh, Lee Shuen, uh, so they might be showing up in this game. And then they also te- tease that Gilgamesh um, might probably show up in Fate Samurai Remnant at the end of the trailer, based on like um, kind of the golden Komodo robe and like and the very iconic voice that Gilgamesh has. So he might uh, show up in the game in some form. Then they also showed off some of like the more like non-combat gameplay elements. As well, like kind of like this, uh, this whole map grid based uh, thing called the Spirit Font Conflict. When when Adam told me that, I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? A Spirit Font Conflict?" I was like, "Yeah, that's what they said." I'm like, "Oh, I guess, I guess it's right. I guess so." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't read anything. I was like, I just look at the visuals. I was like, you know, just like, uh, like, uh, can you guys just like uh, just skim over this to see if it's correct? I was like, "What the fuck is Spirit Font Conflict?" So that was great. Other than that, the long story short, basically all last weekend, they were kind of like, there was that event, that fake and order fest, kind of showing bits of the game in different spots. And then on Monday, kind of after everything had wrapped up, Koei Tecmo sends out the press release and basically wraps it all up. Like, all right, here's all the here's all the info. So that's why Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about it. We didn't get all this last week because we were right right in the middle of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are you saying? uh, Like Gilgamesh is like the dweeb that shows up at the very end of the first show. He's a very strong. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a, he's a he's a major antagonist in like mm-hmm. Fate's Day and Night. The very first uh, mo- where most people were introduced to him, like mm-hmm. who played that game or watched the anime. So yeah. So he's a he's a pretty popular reoccurring character throughout that whole series. Wouldn't be a surprise for him to show up. And yeah, I mean that's just kind of like just what what else we know for now. Like that's just coming out. Wow, this is all coming out next month. <laughs> so almost there. Really want to play it. Almost there. Also coming out just in a couple of days, honestly, um, is Atlas Fallen. 
So this is the game of it's a semi-open world desert themed uh, RPG from Deck 13. So this has been kind of in its late marketing cycle for a while now. It's been having a, a handful of trailers. It got two new trailers this week. And I hate to sound like so judgmental, but both of them I kind of watch and I'm like, eh, this is a bit strange. Um, the first trailer is a trailer called Lords of the Sand Lord of the Sands. But it is a very comedic trailer. It almost feels like something out of the 90s, like where they don't really treat it seriously. And I'm not saying like they have to treat, you know, video games or serious business or whatever. But it's just the tone is just very interesting where the, the a good a gameplay aspect of Atlas Fallen is that you like surf across the sand. It's one of the uh, like a powers given to the player from the equipment that they wear. Only they play it like they play it up like, wait, surfing? And then they do like Beach Boys shit or whatever. And it's just like, wait, it's, it's it's a strange trailer. Um, it's I don't know if it's funny. Maybe maybe I just wanted the right sense of humor. But then another trailer was also uploaded. I don't know if this is uploaded to the official channel or is only on. I have the IGN link here with IGN's YouTube channel called Advanced Gameplay Trailer. And I'm like, all right, maybe this is what I want. This is maybe what the, the gameplay nerd in me wants. But for calling itself an advanced gameplay trailer, it's 47 seconds long. Is it advanced? Very advanced. It's, so it's, advanced mo <laughs> it's mostly just like a montage of just, yep. And the top comment on it is, this most certainly looks like a video game. <laughs> and I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, all right. like, And that's kind of how I feel about Atlas Fall right now. I was like, all right, that's coming out. Like it's, I guess it's an okay time for it for people who are playing, you know, games on console. It could this could be good potentially. We'll talk about it when it comes out. Um Is it is yeah. it is it is it was it actually advanced though, where they show you off advanced stuff? They showed off aerial combat, uh Ooh. momentum, which is like the game's Ooh. one like signature mechanic, and then uh hit weak points. Dang, that's advanced. <laughs> yep. That's so huge that's for me. Oh, oh! I missed parry to stun. That's actually kind of not too bad. The parry system, but yeah, okay. momentum. Momentum is like this, this, the system for like how you get stronger the longer the fight goes on, which could be interesting. But then like aerial fighting and hit weak points. No, oh, neat. Advanced. Advanced. Um, not a trailer, but we did get some information from Koei Tecmo and Team Ninja for their continuing support for Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Uh, of course, we already knew that the the game was going to get three DLCs. The the three DLCs were already dated from like the Steam page had already kind of given like months for each of the three DLCs, months months and titles, I believe. Uh, but yeah. now we kind of have a formal roadmap for what's what's left for Wolong Fallen Dynasty in 2023. Uh, however, this road roadmap doesn't really give us any real new information. It gives us some small new information, but outside of the dates of the new DLCs, not even the dates, it's still just the months. What it provides other than that is like very niche. Like in November, there will be a Neo collaboration. Like, Let's oh, go. okay. I guess that makes sense. Cause obviously it's the um, same team. Uh, in September, there will be a Lies of P collaboration, which I think we already knew. Yeah. So this, this, this is just the there's announcement also from- a, At some point there's also a Naraka Blade Point collaboration. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, one one thing that I do like about this roadmap is that pretty much every month, even if they have nothing else to say, they say it will have balance adjustments, feature improvements, and more. They list that. Oh, yeah, I love those things. <laughs> they, oh, yeah. List that, they list that for August, September, October, November, 
They don't say anything in December for feature improvements and more. Well, and I, I well, guess they're not, single... not going to make any balance adjustments in December. I don't. I don't actually get like how you can plan for plan balance adjustments because like, what do you do? You already have like uh, things in mind to to balance adjust like from the year on out. Like I, like, <laughs> to, to me, it's just like it's one of those weird things that like you're pre-planning balance adjustments on a monthly right. basis. We know under- we know that this ability that we're going to introduce in DLC two is going to be overpowered and all balanced. <laughs> and then at the bottom of the roadmap, there's just like an arrow covering the whole thing, saying bug fixes, optimization as needed. Like, oh, that's it, that's good. It's also I, I, look. It's just like me being an old person, but like, uh, like it's just weird to have to see 2023 roadmap for a game that released in 2023, like as well. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, it's like I don't think this roadmap is a bad thing, but it's like uh, they, just... they were they they've already been updating the game. Obviously, one DLC is already out. I just don't think this roadmap was really needed because it doesn't provide us any information we didn't already. It also have. feels sort of delayed. Like I, I feel a like this bit. roadmap should have come out in April. Like, all right, we release the game. Here's the upcoming DLC and you know collabs that that are coming out. It feels kind of weird to have released this in like late July. Is there like an active? Out. Is there like an active old long community that like that still like I don't know does stuff in the game? Like I feel like Neo had like a, a lasting community, but I don't know about Wolong. I mean, I can't speak to the size of it, but I did play the first DLC when it came out in what late June, and it was fine. It was very much what you expected. If you've played any DLC of Neo, Neo Two, or like even like Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Three, like it's a very similar thing. Here's a new region. There's two new bosses, a couple of new side objectives, a new boss rush, a new weapon type. Like it's it's exactly what you expect it to be, and it was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was good. And when I went to the Reddit page, because I was I was actually struggling on a boss. There was a boss in um, the new DLC that that is aerial most of the time. So if you're a melee person, it's very tricky. It's a lot of movement. You can cast spells and stuff, of course, but um, that wasn't my play style. And then I like, I was, I was actually like playing this while chatting with Adam on the side. And I'm like, am I bad at the game? Do I just suck now? And then I went to the, uh, the Reddit page and pretty much everyone was struggling with this boss. I'm like, Oh, okay. It's not just me. Everyone's struggling. And I eventually did win. You're all bad. Yeah. I was like, yeah, everyone's bad. Yeah, but that's, I, that's I did... what we get for saying that the game, the main game, was too easy. Yeah, I, I guess. like, well, I'll show you. Um, but yeah, I w- I will play the other DLCs mainly because I don't think they'll be that like usually they're like you can kind of clear them in a couple days. A couple hours. Yeah. yeah, unless you go to like, uh, like there is like the DLC two does give a new difficulty level. So if you're the sort of person that yeah. clears out, gotta all play the, the way whole through. game on. On new game plus 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 mode or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not me. I'm like, all right, let me just see the new content and go on. Because luckily, what are the what are the adjustments? Clap whatever you're using, though. What, what then? Uh, I will find a trainer. I still online. remember. <laughs> I still remember the original Neo. Zach liked it a lot, and then every update, he like liked it less and less. He got but so. I think, I think, by the end of it, he hated the, the game. Is, I think the thing is though is like. I don't know how valid his criticism was because it was mostly just like I found a broken build, and, and then he kept on nerfing it. And was just like, oh, okay, this is clearly too broken. We need to trim it down. And so Zach was just upset that his broken build is no longer broken. <laughs> so uh, I would be one of those guys, but I wouldn't rant about it like that. It would be me and Diablo free. That's why I hate it early Diablo free. It's like the stuff that you work so hard and it becomes useless the next day. It's like just. Well, I mean, the other thing is a little bit different, especially if you, if you engage with a real money auction house to fucking get there, right? If you, if yeah, you take that, real that, money, that was an option. Yeah. yeah. I, I never played Neo. That was a thing. Was like, I remember it very vividly because <laughs> he kept renting it so much. 
But yeah, so the next DLC comes out in September. I'll probably play it. Well, maybe not, because September is quite packed. I'll probably play it late. I was actually just thinking the other day how like that Cyberpunk DLC also comes out in September. Like there's just oh. so much in September. Ooh. Let's see. Um, I think we're over over to sales updates now. So one of these is not a surprise, but that, but is good news. And one of these is a surprise and is also kind of good news. So the one that's probably not a surprise is that Tears of the Kingdom continues to sell really, really well. Um, based on Nintendo's quarter one results for fiscal year 2024, it has sold 18 and a half million copies. A lot. That's a that's a that's a big number. That's a small, you know, it's a little tiny number. Yeah. It's okay. Some blip. Hopefully it has legs. <laughs> <laughs> Who could say, really? <laughs> I mean, and then in the other oh, sales, let, let me pull oh, up. Ahead, let me pull up. How much has a Breath of the Wild sold? It's like above 30 million, I believe. Yeah, about so a little 30 and a half, like 30.5. Conventional wisdom would say that this game won't sell as much as Breath of the Wild just because sequels rarely ever do. Um, but let me just take a look here. It'll, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll reach 30 million. I think there's other kind of can sell 30 million. I think it can get there. The, I, I think, I think, I think, I think the, the, the question is, is like how fast does it get there? Easy. Breath of the Wild is yeah, thirty point six five, so just about thirty million. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I I think it's not a matter of if Tears of the Kingdom can get to thirty, but how fast it can get there. Yeah, it's just a matter of when. The question is, uh, didn't oh was it did Square Enix also release their fiscal this summer too? Or that yeah. Was... So Square Enix released their fiscal for the first quarter as well, and the main thing is is that. Their total sales numbers are up because of Final Fantasy 16, but their income is actually down from last year. Mm. And the reason for that is because of all the costs of how much Final Fantasy 16 costs. So, you know, the cynical way to look at it is they, they developed a huge game, it cost a lot of money, and they made a very modest profit off of it so far, which is like they, they actually made more money a year ago selling basically nothing because <laughs> they didn't have a huge cost so the basically the hope is that well they uh, the the finance term for this is like to amortize the cost and to put it on the record books on their finances and now the hope at this point is that when they when they port this game to other platforms and long and updated releases and whatnot that that they've already recouped the cost of the game it feel it looks like it, you can't say for certain but you hope that the legs are good enough to basically boost that income now that those costs are amortized. So that's my understanding of it anyway. I mean, I, I guess that's uh, at least that's okay, like pretty okay. Like you put you sold it as a PS5 exclusive and to at least at least make some form of profit out of it despite being a PS5 exclusive. I think it's still something at least. It, it could be worse. It could not make, you could be losing money. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, I'd something has legs. You know, I don't. Oh, there we go, legs. <laughs> That... I, I I think it's pretty well established. I don't think I don't think FF sixty. I mean, uh, I it'll it'll get it'll get a boosted sales when it comes to other platforms. But in terms of like ongoing, like sales, maybe it'll maybe it'll maybe it'll get sales from like significant discounts. But I think that's it. Damn, I that's saw I saw the uh, Pikmin four in Japan sold more already than 
Final Fantasy 16, which you know it's yeah. got the Nintendo branding yeah. behind it. But still, it, that's that is a true statement. Make of it what you will. So. Oh, yeah, that's not that's not a surprise. I mean, there's also just like, just like there's more switches out there than PS5s too. Yeah. Um, did they mention anything about their NFTs in that report? Mm, the, on the on the on the little balance sheet they have, they said they had like three. Uh, well, I forget the units. The, they they had some loss in valuation of some NFT stuff, but I honestly can't. I'm not. I'm not into it well enough to know if, how bad or good that is. So they didn't talk about it too much. It's pretty thin. Them. Now, the thing with Square Enix that's actually kind of tedious is that other companies like Capcom, they release their like investor Q and A's like immediately after the uh, after they have their briefing. But Square Enix takes like a month. I don't know why. It just takes a month. So like a month from now, we'll get the briefing that's already taken place. I think yeah. that the like the actual transcription of it. I'm sure if you go online, you can probably find some like. Japanese business analyst who's already like talking about what was asked at that meeting, but it's not like formalized yet. So we'll get we'll see we'll see if anyone asks what people we'll, we'll we will see what people did ask at the investor meeting at the briefing in about a month. <laughs> did FF sixteen make money? No. <laughs> These remasters, you know, gears. <laughs> Please remake FF16. If you ask about the remaster, then it exists. That's how it works. Yep. Yeah. Mm. So the uh, other sales update from this week is a good news, and that is for Remnant 2, which is from Gunfire Games that we talked about on the podcast three weeks ago. It has sold uh, over 1 million units in four days across the Xbox, PlayStation 5, and PC, and its concurrent player numbers on Steam ended up capping out more than double the original game so obviously a big win for gunfire games and gearbox and obviously a game that seems really well regarded that you know josh and james can attest to yeah really really great sequel um i'm really glad that it sold well i mean the the original remnant did eventually get to a million after a couple like several like it took a good amount of months Mm -hmm. um to get there so it's selling faster and i'm just continuing to see success from it all around is that's pretty cool to see it's it's a it's a really impressive game I wonder yeah. if Gunfire Games. This is this is really not fair of me, but mm-hmm. I wonder if I, I'm I'm working under the assumption that a Dark Siders Four is going to exist. I'm wondering if Gunfire Games is on it or someone else, because they made Dark Siders Three. Mm-hmm. They made Dark Siders Three, and they do have a lot of uh, um, ex Vigil employees. Mm-hmm. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna make a, um, a, a Dark Siders Four, but it's gonna be more like Remnant. Yep. So you just play as the four. Horseman of the Apocalypse, but it's a third-person shooter now. Mm-hmm. Or it's gonna be—it's gonna be like Baldur's Gate, it's gonna be a, a CRPG. I mean, it's the new hotness. Hell yeah! We'll go into uh, some sale—not sales, some release dates now. So, Lost Idolans will finally head to consoles on August twenty-fourth for both PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X. Scott reviewed this last year when it released on PC, and he basically said, it's pretty good. Um, I, I specifically remember one of his criticisms was that, like, it's a tactical RPG, but then whenever the game, like, zoomed in close and showed, like, the character models and animations, he was like, wow, the animations here aren't aren't great. But, you know, it's sort of an indie-scale game. 
I just have to have that expectation. But he thought he thought it was pretty all right. It's like a fire emblem like. Yeah, whenever I look at the the battle scenes for this game, it reminds you of a, a, a Xbox game called Kingdoms Under Fire, and the way it like it frames like like big big like like that game had like hot frame big battles in between troops, mm-hmm. like uh, it sort of had like that that sort of similar flair, but like heavily armored troops like bashing their heads into one another. Hell yeah. We have an indie turn-based RPG called Virgo versus the Zodiac is releasing on pretty much all consoles on August 23rd. This game did originally release on Steam uh, a few years back in December 2019, so in the just in the before times. So it looks like the Steam results uh, of this game were pretty positive, 92%, and you know, so now Serenity Forge, which took over publishing and developer Moon Nana is bringing the game to pretty much every console, Xbox One, Xbox what is, Series. How is worth? I think the developer of Munana is basically like two people. Right. <laughs> like yeah. a creator and like an artist or something. And then there's like, you know, the, as uh, mentioned in the original post, there's, there's kind of one of those RP turn-based battles that's kind of like Mario and Luigi and Motherbird. They're like, you, like in the middle of battle, you can like react to stuff, like like dodge out of the way, counterattack in real time, like mm-hmm. that. So. An active turn-based sort of deal. Uh, Gothic Classic is ar- arriving on Nintendo Switch on September twenty-eighth. This, this one's really a... funny. This one's really funny. What, what, what's it? really funny? Yeah, wait, finish your news. Sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say that this was like kind of that out of nowhere tease and announcement, um, like back in March. Where they like they were putting I forget how do they how do they tease it they were like they were like tweeting like switch icons on their little page saying like they're just like happy new year here's a screenshot from Gothic for no reason and it had like switch icons on it you're like huh okay yeah but like the the, the there's like there's like a straight up port of the game it's like it's like it's like minor minor graphically touched up but it's pretty much like the original source code and like the original visuals of the game there's no. Re- like obviously, it's not a remake because they're making a. Uh, there's a separate Gothic remake, uh, Gothic One remake in production somewhere, but then it's like not like there's not even like a like a remaster sorts of deal. It's like it's not like it's not drastically like visually. It kind of reminds me of those, uh, those Dark Alliance games and the Dark Alliance games where we released. Yeah. It was, and I I honestly don't mind this really. They're just like, hey, we're just gonna re-release these games so you can play on the modern platforms, you know. And they're coming from this is coming from THQ Nordic, so they could do a remaster if they wanted to i guess but I, some of these re-releases like the dark alliance games it was more just like hey we're making this game still available on modern platforms with just the most basic usability touch-ups just to like make sure it runs but that's about it yeah so, and, and and props to them because like you know aside from like you know having uh overhauling the ui for for like the switch like they just make it like you know controller friendly on the heads-up display you know they, they published like a list of like bug fixes and it's like a fucking shitload it's like I I just like linked to it as like on the on the article. I was like, yep, that's definitely a lot of fixes. All right, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, Gothic is we've talked about this before. I've never played it, but I know a lot of people, especially like in Europe, when this game came out in the early two thousands, was a sort of a formative, well regarded PC RPG at the time. Yeah, kind of like there hadn't really been a game like that before in the nineties. So well, seminal in that regard. I said early two thousands. What did I? What oh, did you... well, yeah, the... that's when, okay. That's when the game came out. Mm-hmm. So I was just saying, like in the nineties, didn't really have 
PC RPGs quite like this. So I know it's really well regarded in that era, in, in that area. So so much so that they're making a remake. And I know the they had the um they had the uh the demo for the remake or like the test or whatever they called it. And I know a lot of people were not very happy with it because it didn't have the same flavor or whatever as the original. But they're still making it. We'll see how that turns out. I mean, that's why they're taking something like, all right, we need to change. Yeah, we're like, uh, shoot, we need to <laughs> quite a, quite a bit, make yeah. sure that we don't upset our our the gothic fan base. So, I want to play it at some point, but there's so many games I want to play. Uh, we one last dated announcement. This is just kind of a fun, cute one. Uh, an indie RPG called Battle Cakes will be launching on PC on October 26th. This looks like an RPG where you play literally as like cupcakes. Like there, oh. I see like in our header image of this game, there's a cupcake with a crossbow. I'm like, hell yeah! Oh yeah! So this this Me. game just looks really cute and fun. So okay, Buttercup. <laughs> um, during one of the uh, financial briefings uh, last last week, I believe, um, for EA, it was kind of inadvertently announced that. Uh, they are working on porting Star Wars Jedi Survivor to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And I, I hope I'm attributing this to the right person, but I believe I saw James say, like, wait, they're porting the game that doesn't run on current consoles to last gen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could have been me. It could have been the uh, 1,200 other people that said that on Twitter. That's fair. So, uh, yeah, I... so... Xbox One trying to run uh, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. I guess we will see. Dude, I can't, I can't <laughs> wait for the digital foundry video for this fucking thing. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. Um, good luck, Godspeed, whoever's you know. I wonder if they're just their their media analysis, market analysis. They just decided there's actually a good number of people who will buy this, so they decided it's we... worth doing. I suppose. <laughs> I think the real reason why this is happening is uh, the next Switch, because um, it's probably going to be about as powerful, or maybe a bit more powerful than the PS4 and an Xbox One. So it's like, well, if you can get it running on last gen, you can have it be like a launch title for the next Nintendo console, and that's like a lot of marketing. But did, did for... Fallen Order come out on the Switch? No. Oh, okay. Like, I think I'm just saying. That... You, you work, they do the work to downport it to these consoles, and then they can immediately leverage oh, that. Oh, it's, it's like a proof of concept almost. For Switch too, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So we'll see how that how that how this shakes out. I mean, at worst case, crazy. you can say, "Hey, now this game is available, and there's like 120 million PS4s out there, or whatever." So all they got to do is put it on the shelf. People say, "Oh, Star Wars," and they buy it, and hopefully, it runs adequately. There you go. I mm, I'm like thinking now. I'm like thinking like what next gen exclusive thing could uh, the makes for an interesting like last gen port like Baldur's Gate three for example. Like yeah, we're gonna try to get that running on PS four. <laughs> Did the Hogwarts Legacy came out on the Switch yet? Did it eventually get know. canceled? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I did. The they did they? Oh god! I'm thinking about what they did for Marvel's Midnight Suns. Did those uh, last gen ones ever come out, or were they canceled too? I forgot. I know they delayed those. I don't know if they just canceled them eventually, or just or they did come out. 
It's been a long time. Uh, yeah, I'm looking. I'm trying to think what else. Mm. Midnight Suns on Switch was canned. Okay, but the the PS4 and Xbox One versions one, came out. Yeah. Okay. As far as as far as I can tell, with a quick Google poop. Okay. Okay. So I'm glad to know that that the next generation of uh, video game consoles has started by releasing exclusives and then eventually putting them back on old systems. Well, at least you don't have the weird Baldur's Gate situation where they have trouble doing the Series X, uh, Series S development. It's at PS5 exclusive for the time being. So having one of the ports having issues. I've actually it's really one of those enjoyed... Things. Uh... Go ahead, Josh. Uh, James. It's gotta be one of those things where it's like, well, it's a happy uh, accident in a way, because it's like, well, now they don't have to go up against Starfield, because it's like, well, we're not doing Starfield. Or we're, we're not doing it on Xbox, I should say. I have really enjoyed Larian's... Um the way that they've handled the Xbox situation is very honest. They're like, hey, we're not announcing it for Xbox. We're working on it for Xbox. But the thing we're running into is this with no judgment or anything. They're just they just talk about where our engineers are working as hard as we can to get the split screen working for Baldur's Gate 3 on Xbox One S. Um, and hopefully we can get it to work, but we're not announcing anything. So I think that they've just been very clear with their communication. Yeah, about that. they're very, they're very Ooh, frank with it. We do not, we do not have an exclusivity contract. Uh, we would release it if we can get it to work to our standards, but, but that's what we're currently working on. And hopefully and the they last, get there. Last bit of news we have here is something to look forward to to discuss likely next week, is that Koei Tecmo and Gust will be announcing a new Atelier title in just a few days on August 8th. Do we have any, like, uh, does anyone more like finger on the pulse of this series, like know kind of what we're expecting here? Or is it kind of, now that the Rise of Trilogy is out of the way, now that the the remake is out of the way, that this is going to be just like, you know, new protagonist, new trilogy? Rise of Thor. Yep. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I I, I just assume it's going to be the start of a new, a, a new, arc for Atelier. I do wish there was more non new non Atelier Gus games. I mean there's a very function free, okay? Blue free. I mean I mean like you know just start, start something new again that's not tied to an IP unless you want another unless you want another fairy tale RPG, Chow. I know you were very uh hot on uh no no when are, <laughs> when are they going to localize the um when are they gonna localize the uh Seal no surge and are no surge. Uh, that, yeah, that is on. true too. Like that, that is so weird that they just re-released them and it's like, yeah, hey, you're just like last time. You will not localize them. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it, the worst part is you can't even buy it on Steam if like you're not in Japan. You can't even like region locked. Not- yeah. What a that has been. Just, yeah, that has been. I forgot that was a situation until you just reminded me. Like, oh yeah, that happened. What the fuck? They're gonna pull a spin out of nowhere. A Mana Cremio remake. I mean, they said this will be a Natalia t- title, so uh, unless unless it's gonna be like something like a some weird fucking spinoff, like a one-off thing, that would still right. be a new Natalia title. Hmm. Like that that anniversary Natalia, right? The one that like had a crossover between all the protagonists. I forgot what it's called. What was the Muso game with that Atelier cast? Yeah, Warriors All Stars. That was the one that like had the crossover between all the Koei Tecmo shit. Like yeah, like Yeah, I think it had Sophie in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, William William Neo was in there. 
Yeah, um, we got the first Weeaboo. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like other casters. Yeah, there's Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors representatives in there. I don't know what else they, they had. Oh, they had Ninja Gaiden and Ryu Hayabusa in there. Kind of outplays. It's where all those games are like a fucking bloodbath and you bring Antelio characters in there. But yeah, we'll look forward to that next week. Uh, next week, we'll talk about uh, further experiences with Baldur's Gate 3, likely. Next week, I think we can finally talk about Atlas Fallen because it releases, right? When does that come out? Like the 10th? Um, like that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yes. right, so that'll, so that'll come out this week, and we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Brian been dying to talk about it. It's, mm, kind of. It's... <laughs> uh, it, it's what it's just a weird game the way that it was announced had a release date before had any gameplay then it got the gameplay then they got the release date delayed and yeah so but yeah you can follow uh, rpg site at rpgsite.net we're on all the four social media networks uh the network formerly known as twitter youtube facebook and instagram just search for rpg site and you should be able to find us hopefully um you can also join our discord uh, discord.gg slash rpg site or hit the link at the top of our homepage. you can listen to this podcast on spotify uh, google podcasts and itunes and we will be back next week with another episode of the tetracast so until you hear from us next time stay safe and take care and we'll talk to you all later if you have a stadia controller you're not using reach out to chow in the comments go in the comments like hey chow i have a stadia controller i'm not using you can get it. a good penny for it yeah. <laughs> Is it historical artifact?